Composing Worm, a worm analysis podcast. That's Clarence. He's the first-time reader and literary expert. And that was Matthias. He's read the story before. In this 12-episode series, we're using critical theory to explore the superhero web serial worm from a high-level perspective, covering worm in six 300,000-ish word chunks. Mm-hmm. And today is part two of book five, Perspectives. So today we'll be applying Uh, literary theory to worm kind of combing through arcs 23 through 26 um, with several lenses. Um, I I will uh, probably be, you know, kind of venturing into the later forms of psychoanalysis, um, but I never seem to go too far from the concept of space and some of the continental Mm -hmm. theorists. Um, And then Matthias will have a perusal through narratology and and, um, hopefully take us through a hero's journey. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, If you haven't read ARCs 23 through 26 yet, please do. This is a full spoilers discussion. Um, And then go listen to the overview episode last two weeks ago. Last fortnight. (laughs) You know. Um, So, uh, of course, we are going to be doing our our character studies first. Um, I think, uh, Clarence, you did Tecton, right? I did, yes. Yes. And um, I did Chevalier. Uh, Then we'll do our essays. um, And we'll have some small interludes in between, as we usually do. Um, okay, so first for um, my character study, I did Tecton, and I had a realization like much later um, as I was kind of combing through everything, mm-hmm. is that we don't really learn his name of Everett until like he's having that conversation with with uh, Theo, Theo huh. in a flashback. Interesting. Um, I think I may be incorrect, but I feel like that's the only time that I saw him referred to anything besides Tecton. I mean, I would believe that for sure. That sounds right to me. Which is a very interesting sort of thing to note. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of like Taylor <laughs> didn't care to learn his name, if, but uh, but the, yeah. Theo does. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of like remained in this in this sort of like work professional environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Okay. So Tecton, um, I wanted to talk about him because we've been going on and on about all these different types of leaders. And like mm-hmm. authority, and his was a very uh, different, I think, approach to to how he wanted to lead his team, because um, he's very like deliberate in the way that he set everything up, and the way that he um, created a a net of like safety and caring, you know, and mm-hmm. like support, um, knowing that the person that he put in in charge of everyone would not offer that. So he's kind mm-hmm. of like the leader behind the scenes sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of uh, Weld's talk with Vista about being the team's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Tekton's not like the heart in a very emotional sense, but definitely is providing that aspect, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. He, I feel like he offers the a word when a word is needed and like comfort when comfort is needed. Like he's very aware of how the dynamic of his group is going to play out. Mm-hmm. I think, and what he and he knows what he needs to do in order to like make sure that it it, it functions at at um its fullest like capacity or potential. Mm-hmm. Um, because he even before he had like the team that we see later on, um, when he first sees Taylor, he he like already is sort of like 
in the back of his mind kind of, you know, cataloging her ability to lead. Mm -hmm. Like that whole scene where where the Chicago wards are like kind of in the background eavesdropping when when Skitter and Tattletail are like standing there planning along. He's kind of like eyeing them like, I feel like in the back of his mind, he's like, huh, I'm going to like think about Mm -hmm. how she put her team together Mm -hmm. and how she's like leading her team. Um, So when his his like job security, I guess you could say, comes into mm-hmm. question when the protectorate, you know, has all the stuff that's happening and, and all the case 53s are checking out and they're kind of restructuring. He is in Chicago, like, immediately thinking, like, the way that I set up my team has to be very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And it can't just be, like, haphazard. It can't be, it can't be an array anymore. Um, it has to be, like, I want to say complementary, but I feel like complementary implies only two things. Mm. But, like, like a whole hmm. group of things that like fits together like a puzzle sort of thing. I think I think it works. Although I definitely see the connotation of two with those complementary colors. I forget that that's a a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's I find that interesting when um, he talks about that with Taylor. I'm pretty sure she basically says the implication along the lines of like, "Is this what is the benefit of being part of the protectorate that you can specialize like this? That you have so yeah. many other powers to work with?" But the way that Tecton talks about it, that's kind of not true because most teams don't specialize like that. Like, it's he's basically noted that his approach, which is almost is is an approach that Taylor kind of fell into, mm-hmm. um, is something that most wards teams don't do. Yeah, he has this whole thing of like um, talking about like uh, how everybody everybody's sort of like going through for versatility, mm-hmm. and that he's just like. He he is very intentional about explaining why he's done this to her. Mm-hmm. Like he explains all of his reasoning to her as they're kind of like going along once he requested her, um, which was very interesting because when he put his team together, he like had her in the back of his mind. Hmm. I feel like because um, in that same conversation where he's like talking about how the other capes, like the other teams don't really do that. Mm-hmm. He was like, the problem with this team going this route, focusing on the one thing is we're very weak against certain approaches, strong against others. We need a certain kind of leader for that. And I know you pulled it off with the undersiders. Huh. So it's like, he almost, he almost like was anticipating that his team would need someone perhaps like Taylor or would need mm-hmm. her to be the one, you know, kind of running the thing. Yeah. I wonder if he was already thinking of her. I mean... When he's making this sort of decision, probably what was going on is that Taylor had announced um, that she's Weaver now, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there's probably like an idea of, oh, she'll probably eventually be a ward. So I wonder if Tekken was already saying, when that happens, I want her on my yeah. team. Yeah, I think I think immediately like when he was when he saw that that she was kind of entering into the into the wards, I think he he was definitely like, I need to make sure to get her, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really fascinating. Just as a slight side note, um, because his his like intentional, you know, deliberate like choosing of her mm-hmm. and like kind of handing her the reins um, is very different than than any of the other leadership positions that she has has, um, you know, either taken charge or like kind of rested charge, like rested control mm-hmm. um, from others where this one, it's the leader, like the the power over the team and like the the you know in the midst of battle sort of authority is like willingly you know handed to her it's not given to her by default like default or anything Mm -hmm. um which i feel like that's that's kind of how the undersiders ended up is 
mm-hmm. she kind of got as as almost as default and then some of the other situations she's she like steps in and makes herself an authority but here he he very deliberately gives her that yeah and that moment really feels different like um I, I think it, Taylor is very surprised by mm-hmm. by this because um, that section where she's trying to figure out um, the strengths and weaknesses of the people she's working with and and stuff. Um, I think she like we're seeing how like kind of uncomfortable she is with it, like mm-hmm. oh, just because it's unfamiliar. I think. Um, yeah, the kind of the beginnings of it, she doesn't really know how to quite approach mm-hmm. leadership when it's not like a dire In the situation. Moment. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because but it's later not on, dodge do this right now. Yeah. Later on, like once once she really gets into the like the rhythm of of like battle and and you know fighting against Behemoth and all of this, like um, I feel like she gets much more comfortable than when they're kind of walking up and kind of figuring out how to fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I mean, both like great and and terrible that her like ideal place to like mm-hmm. forge bonds with her like new team is an inbringer attack, but like. Yeah, but that's that's Taylor. Yeah, she needs something that's like really high stakes, so that she's like is forced to do it. Yeah, she doesn't. I mean, you know, Theo talks about it during the S nine thousand. It's mm-hmm. th- that she kind of lives for this. She's yeah, like, this is yeah. She's like created. She she. I feel like she entered into the world of parahumans so like in the midst of of like that kind of high level intensity, and then she like lived in that for so long that like. She doesn't quite know how to, you know, walk with her feet under under her, I mm-hmm. suppose, when she's not in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, but Tecton is interesting because he, he willingly, like, gives away the, like, in the battle kind of leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he he's he's one that, he's able to read the, like, the tactical ability of Taylor. Or, like, or not that he can't, not necessarily that he can read tactical ability, but, like, he, he can tell that she has... Mm-hmm like her her whole like categorization and and like mm-hmm. all of this like he knows what she can do and like he knows he knows how to like read the like need a dynamic for her to like fit into the group and like i suppose he he has the ability to like know people mm-hmm. you know to make yeah. a team yeah. you know um because he kind of prides himself on that ability, right? When he um, talks yeah. to Rachel later on, which is oh, then it goes terrible. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's and so, so put it's out so unfair about it. because Taylor like seems to like really harshly judge him. She's like, yeah. oh, he's not getting it. He just doesn't understand. He's not like, um, like she's acknowledging that like yes, he probably is better normally, but it's not going to work with Rachel. But she's like kind mm. of derisive about it because she just feels kind of superior about it. Yeah. I think well, because I think it's she's like I know the situation. Mm-hmm. I know, I know the social cues. I know the social, like you know, little like flags that I, I how to navigate this particular interaction. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, she was kind of like struggling, and he seemed to know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I don't remember if it's right before, or right after that that moment. Um, is that she's she's like trying to check in, find out where Gru and mm-hmm. Tattletale are, and she kind of like. Is talking to somebody else, but then she looks over and sees Tecton kind of crossing the room to see, you know, make sure that Cuff's okay and kind of mm-hmm. he's taking this this like um it's not it's not like a parental role, it's not and it's not necessarily like sibling, but like kind of like a caretaker kind of mm-hmm. because it's not it's not he doesn't have like, you know, really sharp like emotional, you know, knowledge, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like 
it's I, I guess it's not, it's not as exacting, but he knows he knows what needs to be done. I guess. Yeah, yeah. He's not like Does their that make sense? therapist full on. Yeah, like and yeah. I think like when Well talks to Vista, that's I think a little bit more what her role is supposed to be, right? Where mm-hmm. she like yeah. listens to everyone's problems and and helps deal with that, but. Um, Tecton's kind of like the rock, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, you, you mentioned a couple of things that made me think of comparing Tecton to Gru. And I feel like that's actually a really, uh, would be really interesting to look at oh, because be they're both, they are both leaders that have handed off control to mm-hmm. Taylor, but Gru did it because he couldn't live up to his own, um, I guess expectations, right? Yeah. Like, because, yeah. yeah. He dealt with so much, and Tekton is because he like knows his limits, um, mm-hmm. and knows that Taylor's better equipped to handle the problem. Yeah, because he kind of he has that moment earlier where he he's very aware of like he was talking about um, Raymancer, who mm-hmm. was all, like who I mean dies earlier, right? But yeah, their interaction. He's like I'm like I I never was the shot caller. Like I'm always mm-hmm. there's always going to be someone and me. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know. He he just seems very like aware. Mm-hmm. Like, socially aware, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he just seems like he has his shit handled, which is very yeah. admirable in, uh, for a parahuman. That's that's so rare. Yeah. Also, it's lovely. Like, I know he's it doesn't, like, work out with mm-hmm. him trying to, like, help Rachel, but, like, yeah. I, it's just so... He's, he's just so enthusiastic. Because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I went to this, like, lecture and all of this. And yeah. It was just... It was funny. Of how to make your teammates feel good. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. He's just like very obviously trying really hard to like make sure that the team that he has put together works, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, that, that particular scene, he's trying to tell the, um, Rachel how she can comfort Imp after Regent's dead. Mm-hmm. It's just so positive. And he's like, yeah, he's excited to teach therapy skills. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, um, he kind of he 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 also doesn't he doesn't hesitate in those particular moments because like after um after like the whole the end of Behemoth and all of that he like mm-hmm. immediately jumps in as this sort of like emotional support and mm-hmm. and and you know offering like kind words and like an ear to listen like he's an advice like to um, Theo about talking to Weaver and all of this and he's like checking in to make sure that like they did this trial run did it work like all of this he's like very very much about like feedback with the team it's Mm -hmm. not just like him telling them what to do and how to feel it's like he's he's very obviously listening to to their concerns and like responding in kind Mm -hmm. um yeah we're we're after after the end of behemoth he's kind of like reassuring them he's like yeah you're inexperienced but like i mean you guys were with everybody else all of this blah blah blah. you like Mm -hmm. you did you did as much as you could and she's kind of sitting over there in the corner Mm-hmm. Um, with Rachel, like, doing her thing. But, like, the team, the, the Chicago Wars are so, like, very obviously still, like, his group that they've kind of, like, mm-hmm. added on Weaver in in this sort of, like, she never really joins them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, because even way later on, um, when he's talking to uh, Gollum, uh, when they're... Oh, when when in in the second interlude, I think mm-hmm. of of Theo's, where he's having a flashback about you know learning how to fight and training with uh, Weaver. Theo, you know, kind of pulls him aside and is like checking in on on like the the sort of like you know like roughness, I guess, mm-hmm. and like kind of the the aftermath of of Taylor's kind of 
brusque, you know, very, very professional. Um, mission focused. Mission focused. Yeah. Where like she doesn't offer any sort of any sort of like um, like safety net or anything like there's no mm-hmm. there's no like encouragement, I guess. Yeah. And he's sort of he's sort of like behind the scenes checking in like when she pushed cuff too hard, he steps in. Mm-hmm. And and um when he feels like maybe Theo is, is getting, you know, you know, bogged down or whatever, he kind of checks in. It's like be careful, like guard yourself. Yeah. I mean, we need her, you should be her friend, but like guard yourself. Um which as like kind of a side note too, in that particular conversation where he's kind of like, You should be her friend mm-hmm. even if it's just like an acquaintance. It's interesting because he he's not just supporting his team, but he's also supporting her. Mm-hmm. Where like he recognizes that she does, she does need specific things. Um, she does even if she's not willing to like acknowledge them. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, she forgets that friendship is a a social need. She focuses yeah. entirely on um, the mission so much in in the it, it, it. She has that um tunnel vision that is both like short term and focus on the one goal. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that like even aspects that are related to the goal, if they're not like immediately relevant, then she'll ignore them. Uh, like yeah, like her teammates' emotional needs, like her own emotional needs. Um, because I think she expects everyone else to compartmentalize just like she does. Yeah, yeah. Like her whole conversation with Cuff, um, before the Behemoth fight, she she kind of has she holds everyone to the standard that she has created for herself. Yeah. Um. And I think with the Chicago Wars, it becomes even more visible um, than it did with the Undersiders. And so um, he kind of becomes like tacked on kind of, he recognizes that that's what she does. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, he, he, he like sees to the truth of like everyone's nature, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he knows, he, he can like, he knows like the, the, the effects of everyone interacting with each other and what Mm -hmm. needs to be done to like smooth everything over yeah where taylor doesn't even see the issues in the first place doesn't see the bumps at all yeah yeah but yeah i don't know it's just he's just very like steady in his role Mm -hmm. like he knows he knows what his role is he knows what he wants other people to do Mm -hmm. but it's never really about what he wants he knows that he just needs to like he like fills in the gaps i guess where what you were talking about I think last time about like him being the glue, mm-hmm. like he fills in. He he knows people will will not necessarily change to do what he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. He just has to like kind of forge those those you know gaps between everyone. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? I think so. Um, I can't remember if he like comforts um, Cuff during the Behemoth fight, but I feel like like he would. Yeah. He definitely he 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 addresses her with everyone else mm-hmm. in the aftermath where he's kind of like you guys did everything you know that you could have you you guys are experienced like inexperienced but like you know I mean you jumped in with both feet first but then like later on mm-hmm. when he's talking to um um Theo about Weaver he's like yeah she pushed cuff too far but like it I feel like the implication of that conversation is that he he did kind of go back and like make sure that she's okay yeah yeah for sure. Yeah. 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 He's definitely talking to all of the, all of the teammates and mm. helping. Yeah. Keeping the study even as <laughs> Taylor ruthlessly <laughs> puts them to work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she expects them to be like her bugs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which you don't have any emotion and are completely expendable. And uh, uh, yeah. Ah, Taylor. 
um, yeah, she only yeah her bugs she only conserves as a resource as a resource not as like yeah just just because she doesn't want to run run out of bullets essentially mm-hmm. um, and she kind of views I think the emotional well being of her teammates sort of in the same way but mm-hmm. like barely where it's like only if it's like about to totally break does it matter you yeah. know a yeah. broken uh, a couple legs missing from a bug is not that yeah, significant it's fine. yeah 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 and he's never surprised by that I think. Tecton. Like, there's so many mm-hmm. people that, that we encounter, that she encounters, that, like, that are centered around this story, that have expectations um, of other people, of Taylor, that, that she doesn't live up to, or they don't, like, they're, he just, Tecton just doesn't, he, like, he knows how people are, and he, like, isn't surprised by people's actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of acts accordingly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's an interesting team leader. I wonder if that applies to how his power works, right? Because he has mm-hmm. this architectural sense, um, which normally he uses it to like tear things down. But mm-hmm. theoretically, it could also be used to build things up. He knows how things fit together. Yeah, yeah. He's aware of the like underlying structures of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, total side note, it's interesting that he's one of the few people, one of the few tinkers we see that has like a secondary ability. Mm-hmm. Like most of the tinkers we see are like full on just tinkers. Um, at least that's what we can see of them. Yeah. But yeah, we don't see that. Yeah. But he um, has that architectural sense as part of like a, yeah, he has a thinker power in addition to his mm-hmm. tinker one. And he's not the only one that does that, but he's one of the few that we get like on screen. Yeah. Um, and you can really see him doing it. It's much more like visible to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's all I have on Tecton. What a good I guy! I really like him. I yeah, I like him yeah, a lot. He's cool. Um, he's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, he's yeah, he's nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So now I have uh, my character study, and we're going to be studying another uh, pretty great leader, um, mm-hmm. Chevalier or Chevy. Uh, Side note, we actually still don't know his name. We don't get his first name at all in Worm. Interesting. Um, as far as I could tell, anyway. Um, including in we, his own interlude. Um, I, I straight up don't know. I don't... Oh. I, it wasn't yes. on the wiki, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we know his, like, middle name or something, mm-hmm. but not his his first name. Um, so, uh, Chevalier's power, right, is to... Uh, he's able to mix the properties of things and the closer they are to like the same shape and form, the easier it is for him to do that. I assume it's like the quicker he can shift around the the statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he can, you know, uh, mix a bat with a tree and have the bat swing with the weight of the tree behind it, but only um, be so light on his end. Um, he's uh, described repeatedly as kind of relentless to the point that uh, it almost became his code name when he was chasing down uh, these uh, child um, traffickers um, mm, yeah. called the Snatchers. Um, and uh, he almost killed the leader of the Snatchers, uh, but uh, Alexandria gave him a choice of whether he, he could do it and go to jail or he could not do it and then join the wards instead. And it's presumably he did not kill um, the leader there. Yeah, he He backed off from his relentless pursuit um in the battle against behemoth uh he's unconscious for most of it because of cody thanks perdition Mm -hmm. Ah. um also side note uh it's all like it's it's 
Accord's death is so ironic, not only because of him being like cut apart, but the fact that it's like an elaborate plan that brings yeah. him down. A Rube Goldberg machine gone wrong um, <sighs> is is pretty. Yeah, it's pretty ironic. Yeah. Oh, Accord. Um, but so he he gets lasered through the through the stomach, mm-hmm. um, which uh, just something I find significant is that his you know his his armor is extremely powerful, right? It's um, it, it, we we never see what the like real suit, suit quote unquote is like, yeah. Uh, but it's described as a veritable mountain of metal. So mm. I'm picturing like an actual like a giant hill essentially, yeah. Um, that like that's is probably like many feet of steel essentially. Um, it must be so heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's like tons, right? Yeah. Um, so when he, so as soon as it like cuts through the front, he's like out immediately because there's mm-hmm. no resistance past the suit. It's just the suit. Yeah. Um, and so there's kind of this idea there of like a, a shell surrounding him, um, while the the weak the 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 inner core is the weakest part. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'll I'll come back to that in a second. Um, but also significant significant is during that he, um, as as soon as he goes unconscious the last thing he does is to make sure that the um, metal and and sword that the suit and sword won't crash through the floors um <laughs> so like in, the, in his last moment of consciousness he's also being selfless which is yeah. cool and then of course uh during the the behemoth fight um it, afterwards he uh, relentlessly right under great strain it's <laughs> a herculean mm-hmm. task marches out to fight behemoth in one of the the coolest moments um even though he's incredibly injured and he's yeah. able to to do some damage. Um, so those are his his main appearances. That's that's mostly his his interlude. Mm-hmm. We get a couple other things. Um, he fights in the Leviathan fight, though we don't see him that much in that. He fights against uh, Noel, and he's pretty central in that, continuously putting himself exactly in harm's way and cutting her apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's basically like the next most effective person after the uh, Triumvirate, and I guess Taylor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, during his talk with Accord, uh, Accord notes how he's placing himself in the middle of battle, and um, he says like that's where he's supposed to be, essentially. Um, so those those are like uh, the the facts, right? Yeah, he's um, one of those just like ideal leaders. I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, like, like refusing he... to die before, like mm-hmm. you know, always being with, like you know, in the midst of everything, all of that, like. I think last yeah. episode you mentioned that he's like the the captain that goes down with the ship, right? Yes, yeah. And I was going to mention one of those like well known individuals that like have this huge long drawn out drawn out fight where they're like a piece of them is on fire and one of them like they're stabbed in the leg. But I feel like most of those are like villains, mm-hmm. so I I opted not to. But I brought it up anyways because I thought it was important. I wonder if he would have like turned villain if it wasn't for Alexandria being there. Yeah, like. Or at least, I mean, he was going vigilante, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, there's nothing really saying that he didn't kill some of the other people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a tough dude. During the Noel fight, um, the the false Eidolon using the wind power makes him go flying four blocks. Mm-hmm. And again, remember, he's a normal person in the middle of there. And also that his suit at the time probably weighed like 30 tons. So that's yeah. how hard the wind hit him. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> just just all around ludicrous. Um oh and the last thing I should mention is of course that he sees these uh glimmers of powers. Yes, which uh, are so cool. Yeah, they really are. Um like, I went uh. back and read the one that s- surrounds a hero. Mm-hmm. Uh and 
I actually like really paid attention to the description this time, and it's just fascinating. It reminds me of um, the aliens in Arrival with the the many legs, except the like legs split apart into yeah. fingers that are writing things on the yeah. ground. It's interesting, and we can't even see the whole thing. Um, oh, so... Yes, um, yeah, it, yeah. The, the 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 questions that those pose is is really really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so so with all that said, I was I was trying to do analysis. One place I was starting on was. Um, on that armor being a shell, right? Mm-hmm. And my initial thought was like, oh, well, that could be a metaphor of like, actually in in his center, he's actually like not very strong, right? And it's all like a performance kind of thing. But yeah. I don't think there's anything actually in the text that would support that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's about to die, he just like, I don't know if accepts it is the right term, but he's like not actually that emotionally worried about it. Yeah. Um, like right behemoth turns on his radiation he's just like well that's it then yeah i'll just have to keep fighting while i can um he's very noble mm -hmm. yeah yeah Uh, yeah he's yeah he's a i think basically a paragon of i don't say nobility because that has other connotation but of like being noble yeah um so uh what but one thing i was one part that i i think almost works as a metaphor there is this is um his power is to basically selectively choose what traits of something apply to him and what apply to other people essentially mm-hmm. he can make he makes a suit and the sword super light while to everyone else they're super heavy um and strong and so that kind of made me think of like i mean he's going down to face behemoth head on but i don't think he would like order other people to do the same thing unless yeah, if they yeah. had already said that they were comfortable with it right so he's kind of like applying his own pressures to himself yeah. while not expecting it of other people, not not asking other people to do the same. Yeah, it's very, like, self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. Like, constantly, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, his original trauma was a, a car crash mm-hmm. um, and being stuck in there for a very, very long time, um, and uh, during which his, his brother was taken, although I don't think he knew at the time, so I don't know exactly how much that particular fact like factors mm-hmm. into yeah. um his like trigger event specifically like the emotions he was feeling at the time but we can kind of like guess maybe he felt really trapped um among other things i wonder like what mm-hmm. if there were any like long term like emotions leading up to it um, cuz he doesn't really talk about his family much but i think they're still alive uh, maybe not the brother but oh interesting um yeah cuz it, it says like uh the car crash at um, broke his mom's leg in four places or something like that. Yeah. Which, I mean, if she was dead, that would probably be a little bit more significant than the leg being broken, right? So yeah. yeah. So he doesn't necessarily have survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Unless if it was his brother. Yeah. Um, which is strange because he was like, from his perspective at the time, I think his brother was saved while he was not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So perhaps it's it's like a feeling of like being left to a fate or like that he feels that... I don't know, something, something, I feel like that would also be like a sort of sacrificial kind of feeling of like resigned to one's fate as mm-hmm. long as like one sibling is, is free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the irony being that yeah, his but sibling yeah, is not free. Yeah, it gets all twisted. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another uh, angle on that is that um, given that he's not actually, he doesn't actually have a weak center, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe it's kind of like a sign that like the shell has become more real than that center 
like maybe like very very deep down there is like a part of him that's like scared and stuff like that but it's so protected by this veritable like mountain right yeah yeah. of being steadfast and self-sacrificing and so many other things that it never even comes close to getting touched Mm -hmm. um and on a different angle, not necessarily talking about Chevalier specifically, but Chevalier as the leader of the New Protectorate, right, mm-hmm. is I, I think his power is a pretty good metaphor for that because it makes him appear as like noble and decorated, like a shining knight in like a knight in shining armor, right? Yeah, yeah. But the actuality of it, the practicality, um, is that his suit is actually this crude. I mean, relatively anyway, mountain of steel that's not decorated. Um, his sword is the same way where it's a <laughs> like crazy long uh, bit of metal um, that weighs multiple tons and obviously doesn't have all the embellishments that the, the smallest one does. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's very like visually strong, um, like the visual rhetoric, I suppose, of his, of his like suit and, and sword. Mm-hmm. Are very much like creating this this narrative of him being this like large knightly mm-hmm. leader sort of thing. I mean, he's like literally larger than life, essentially, yeah. right? Like his yeah. real life self is is a normal human being, but his when he puts on that the costume, his presence becomes entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he like he doesn't flinch at danger. There's a part where. Uh, there, there's a behemoth like lightning strike, and he doesn't even like turn his head essentially, yeah. while everyone else jumps. Oh, sure. um, yeah, and I mean it's very human and normal to jump whenever there's a loud noise, right? Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, it's almost like he like has created this myth of himself, mm-hmm. and then now he must live up to it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, even in his own interlude, we don't get him thinking of himself outside of the name Chevalier, right? Like he he is fully committed to to this narrative that he has has made about himself, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really good. I have actually some quotes right in front of me that are kind of like that. Um so during when he's about to face down Behemoth, um mm-hmm. he says, back then, um talking about this trigger event, just as he was now, he'd been fueled by anger, by pain. He could barely see as black spots blotted his vision. Revenge, again, was his only option. Only it was the end point rather than the beginning. Mm. I told myself I'd never let myself be afraid again, he thought. Um, yeah, so he's like, yeah, he's put on that persona for himself. That it, it That's all it is now. There's no other aspect to it. Yeah. Um, um, he's also like very real in, in how he analyzes things. Mm-hmm. Um, when he first walks into that, that wards meeting, he's immediately like... He describes the scene in, in a very, um, I don't want to say like, um, what's the term? Not surgical, cl- clinical way um, and very factual. And he's already like analyzing. He, he walks in, he notes that there's um, five girls, four boys, and then really has a, th- has a thought of like, was that intentional that he's being added to this group to make a, a clear, yeah. even yeah. divide? Mm-hmm. Which is, it's like the his like third thought, essentially. It's, ve- it's very quick. Yeah. Um, and even though there's, you know, plenty of interesting things going on and like costumes and stuff like that, he basically, he's only focused on the glimmers and how that relates to the costumes. Yeah. Um, and when he's arriving at the behemoth fight, um, Exalt asks him, you ready for this? Being leader for the first time? 
And he admits, no, not for one this important. Everyone who's paying attention knows this is a crucial one, maybe even the point of no return. We lose this, we lose New Delhi, and there's no going back. We'll never get to the point where we can, we're, we'll never get to the point where we can consistently beat those motherfuckers, never mm-hmm. recoup what we lost. I screw up here and the world will know. They can't blame you, Rhyme said. They damn well can, he retorted. So, um, yeah, he's very aware of the, the pressure and circumstances he's under. Yeah. Uh, um, though he's not, like, complaining about it. He's just... No, he's just very aware of, like, mm-hmm. the impact that image has on, like, others' perception mm-hmm. and self-perception, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked about, and I we've got Worm mentions it, too, um, about his uh, his speech, right? Which is... It's it's very short. There's like um, mm-hmm. only like a, a paragraph before the one that I'm about to read right now. Uh, basically, that just describes the scenario. And he yeah. says, um, there's no sugarcoating it, Chevalier said. The fact that you're here today, knowing the state things are in, you're the biggest damn heroes I've worked with. I'm not going to make any big speeches. Better we get out there and save lives. Hit him hard when you get the chance. Keep an eye out for whatever his goal might be. Communicate with other groups as best as you're able. Stay spread out so we can't wipe too many of us out at once. You work best with the people you know, so form your own teams. Stick with the people you've worked, operated with before. Go. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's. I mean, just the. It's the, just so stay spread out so he can't wipe wipe out too many of us at once. Is like fuck. Yeah. Um, because it's yeah, it's real advice. It acknowledges the the direness of the situation. Yeah. There's um, no really. There's no like politicking around. Mm-hmm. He's very much yeah. like here are the facts. Let's go. Yeah. This isn't uh. Today we celebrate our Independence Day kind of thing. It's, yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it has the same gravitas to it too. Yeah, there's something, especially especially post um, the revelation with the triumvirate and culture and everything, mm-hmm. and, and the distrust I think that is bred in um, the protectorate. I think his um, the the very like straightforward approach that he has, I think, is the most is the you know most like rhetorically appropriate. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're not the people like the parahumans that have come like are not they're not looking for someone who's you know trying to endear them um, yeah and he's very aware of that like situation mm-hmm. yeah yeah no sugarcoating right mm-hmm. oh what just oh my gosh what just happened sorry uh, I, I pressed the wrong button and google docs went insane uh, oh no <laughs> uh, let me just write down the time um yeah so i i think that's basically what i have for for chevalier i don't have anything like much um deeper uh and i would love to know people's uh, speculations on what his like trigger event has um as a metaphorical sort of effect on his powers and and Mm. vice versa and um yeah, he. <laughs> I think the problem with with me trying to analyze him right now is that he. I think he's gotten over most of his flaws, right? Um, yeah, I think probably yeah. like his main journey, right? Probably was like if if we were going to see a story about him, it probably would have occurred Way from. Yeah, it would have occurred yeah. d- from his trigger event to mm, yeah that final confrontation with the the leader of yeah, the Snatchers. Yeah. Um, where I think like that's the big moment where he makes a change. I mean, that's a pretty quintessential uh, movie moment, right? Yeah, very true. So he makes the choice, sort of thing. Now yes. I feel like he, like there, I feel like his his trigger event has like two parts to it. 
Mm Because, like, the original one, right, is, like, fear, right, Mm -hmm. of being alone and, like, left to die, right? Mm -hmm. But then, like, the second aspect is is this concept of revenge that doesn't really come until later. Yeah. That I feel like bleeds into it because it's, like, part of it but not. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, which I perhaps that's the thing about, like, the glimmers where, like, he can see there's something... There's there is a level of of not peace but like like uh knowing I guess is like a little bit a way of like dispelling fear. Mm-hmm. And I feel like perhaps those are that sort of embodiment of of not like full knowledge of of other people but like a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling. About yeah. It. No. No. You're not rambling. Um. It's yeah. It's interesting because even after all this time, he hasn't like quite figured out like what they mean he he gains some insight um but not a lot uh, there was something else i i didn't um i i wasn't able to find something specific about it but just the fact that he can't turn off the glimmers i mm-hmm. think is interesting like to the point where when he fights um uh cody and he has the storm of 40 trigger events around him yeah that's so uh, much that's so much to handle <laughs> yeah yeah it becomes something that he can't pay he can't understand and uh, multiple times he mentions how they're actually very distracting. Yeah. Uh, whenever he's in groups, they kind of stress him out. And oh, I feel like he would have a terrible time talking to Cherish. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the current Cherish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be horrifying. I feel like <laughs> they're probably like all screaming or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I wonder what the original butcher um shard looks like. Hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah he... are those like all like multiple different shards like sewn together? I think like, so. I think they're like maybe not like yeah. That's interesting because like that's the purpose of the power, right? The like the Yangban one is intentionally to split up all the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So of course it's going to look like a bunch of split up powers, but with Butcher they're consolidated. So I wonder if they would like thematically like I don't know all. 14 or i think uh yeah all, all 14 other pair humans that aren't a butcher um their glimmers would like be around them and then maybe like the butcher one would like hold a chain to all of them or something right yeah. i mean i probably it probably wouldn't be so literal but maybe that sense um hmm. and so the other thing is that i'm wondering how like it applies to his main power right mm, yeah um hmm. i don't know about that because I don't think, I mean, especially not in these sections, um, I don't think there's anything about him, like, trying to use it on someone, mm-hmm. trying to, like, change their power. I don't think he can do that. By the way, I haven't finished Ward, guys, so if something <laughs> happens in Ward... If there is an answer. I'm ignorant. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. If, if it hasn't been revealed and you guys have speculations, uh, <laughs> please leave them in the comments. I think that's all I have for Chevalier. Actually, we, we talked about it more than I thought we were going to. Yeah. Um, his power is so fun. It, did you know he moves around by using his sword? The, like, he, he doesn't have any enhanced speed, right? He has normal human speed. Um, and so he points his sword behind him and then, like, makes it lengthen, right, from, like, you know, six feet to, to 30, he, like, oh plants God. it against the, the ground, and he, like, boosts forward that way. That is a hilarious movement. It kind of is. But also, like, he just has this extremely heavy sword where it implies a, a part... What's the word? Is it implies? Implies a lot of force. Imparts. That's the Imparts. word. Imparts oh, a lot of more force than he puts into it. So, like, I think that would, like, 
<laughs> you help him blast around. It's, yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. He has a cannon blade. It's awesome. <laughs> He's such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Uh, now we are going to have our little interlude. Uh, we're going to have uh, talk about some favorite moments that we didn't talk about last episode. Yes. Oh, one that I didn't mention in my little writing of things, but that I really liked. And I don't remember if I talked about it last time or not, but I just... I think you mentioned it, but you did not go into as much depth as you wanted to. Oh, the the parahumans in India? Mm -hmm. Yes. I had the actual names written down. The Garama and Danda. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. But particularly the, like, the hot and cold, like, Mm -hmm. implications of it, and that the... That there was, like, a whole realm of parahumans that existed solely, like, like underground or, like, unseen. Yeah, that no one talks about. Yeah, that no one speaks of and that, like, the way that they describe themselves is, like, we handle the enemy you don't see. Which, I mean, what enemy? Is there, like, a specific one or is it just kind of, like, this ambiguous Yeah, enemy? like, are they just talking about criminals? Like... Skitter sort of makes the implication of, like, they're talking about cauldron and stuff, but yeah. I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was actually what was being implied or not. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so interesting. Their whole, like, totally different kind of hierarchy that they have created. Because um, right now, all the, like, societal structure that we've seen is the, like, cops and robbers, all of that, like, that mm-hmm. sort of dynamic. Um, but this this is totally different. Um, yeah. Which was just really interesting, I think, in terms of We only like... hear oh go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. We only hear about a couple other places that have really different dynamics and we don't get that much more about them. Mm-hmm. Um we there's in um it's called the C U I now. I don't know exactly what that stands for, but China, that's the the, the Yangban, right? And yeah, so there's kind yeah. of I think there's an implication of like there's only the Yangban and there's no like other like and everyone Pair else is a vigilante yeah, or a villain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and then Africa, we don't know that much, but in some sections there's like warlords like Mordnag. Mm-hmm. Um, Who is so cool. <laughs> as, as a serial mass murderer, yes. Yes. Um, I don't know if we get that much on Europe. Um, I feel like the only glimpses we see of Europe are um, the white supremacists in Germany mm-hmm. yeah. that the number man is talking about mm-hmm. and kind of messing around with. Oh, we also see uh, Brazil, I think, um, oh, yeah. a little bit, which is basically that um, the government uh, parahumans are not the heroes. The heroes are the vigilantes, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was just, it I, was I think there's really interesting a couple more about. places where um, we get more information like later or, or maybe it was like in passing or something. But yeah, those are the main ones that we have uh, perspectives on. Yeah. It was just like, I don't know. I didn't have anything, like, deep to say about it. It was just Mm -hmm. really, like, interesting to think about different, like, social structures in different places. I don't know. Well, it made me think about the guy that that they went to go talk to at the university who did parahuman studies, Mm -hmm. but was just, like, a regular Mm -hmm. person Mm -hmm. as, like, a sociologist or, like, anthropologist or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Very interesting. But, um... Oh, there was another part that I wanted to bring up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um that is not necessarily like a favorite moment. It's rather like an unfavorite moment that we did not mention last mm-hmm. time. It's very important that I bring up because I love him is the lost <laughs> Atlas who died, which is yeah. so sad. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I miss. I mean, we didn't really like. He kind of like went away. They made a like a brass like cast of him or something. They right? did, and it was so lovely and huh, mm-hmm. but so sad. I will miss him. Mm-hmm. I, yes, everyone will. Yeah. But Taylor has a jetpack now, so. I mean, can anything beat a large bug with at a the human ve- digestive At the tract? very least, you can picture the little bugs inside of her jetpack. I think she uses ladybugs, right, in there? Does she? Mm, I don't remember. I'm picturing ladybugs, so controlling it from the inside. Yeah. Which is funny to me. I guess she has more control over it because she doesn't have to think quite as much, I guess. Mm-hmm. But. It is unfortunate, yeah. Alas. Mm-hmm. What about you? Do you have any favorite moments that you have? Um, I've been able of? to think of a couple. Um, so just just the meeting space when uh, Cauldron has the meeting thing mm, yes. is really interesting. Um, and the the Thonda like anchoring thing when they with the, when they fight Kansu is mm-hmm. just like I just I'm I'm picturing everyone just like rotating in the air around Kansu. It's just kind of a fascinating image yeah. as like there's people on the ground also fighting. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, the whole all of the fights with Kansu are just really mm-hmm. intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because they they happened on such like a like we're already like weary of the other end breakers, and so it's like it's a very different rhythm, I think, than some mm-hmm. of the other fights. Yeah, yeah. What a what a mess. <laughs> uh, um. Another a, a very small moment that I liked is during the uh, during Behemoth. Um, there's a little part where they are carrying wounded on sleds, right? And uh, um, yes. it, where so Gru has like blanketed the entire area with darkness, um, and so the only people that can really see are him and Taylor because of her bug sense. Mm-hmm. And she like scouts ahead, and then she comes back and she lands right in front of him. Um, and just scares him, which is like, like just hilarious, especially because like he could have seen her theoretically, yeah. but she was like so fast that she just like dropped in he front of him. Up. Yeah. Ah, uh, those two, those two during the Behemoth fight. Mm-hmm. Are both like, like it's both heartbreaking and also like mm-hmm. I mean it's not amusing, but like I don't know. It was nice to see them again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. His note was just so intense. Mm-hmm. I feel like I wasn't expecting it to be quite as intense as it was. But perhaps it's just like the the like um the medium of letter writing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed like he got he like was much more attached than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he did not. Apparently, he was like as bad as he was in the days after Bonesaw. Yeah, when she left, which is like, I, yeah, I don't think Taylor even had a hint that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Especially because they like maybe had maybe broken it's because, up like, before. We see her perspective of their mm-hmm. like they're like courtship and relationship like it's very we don't like we don't get like the passion i guess because she's just she's like focused on other things i guess Mm -hmm. so maybe we don't i don't know it just seemed like so surprising yeah and full of like roiling emotion Mm -hmm. and i wasn't expecting it at all yeah yeah um one thing uh another moment uh, changing um is uh bone saw's tea party that she has Actually, there's so many parts in Bone Saws Intrally that we didn't really mention. Mm, yes. So the the tea party with um, Damsel of Distress is wonderful, mm-hmm. where uh, she's like, she she drugs Damsel and um, is like teasing her while she's going to sleep um, of like, yes, I tricked you. Um, the, you. You can't trust anyone when you're 
uh, trying to rule the world. Yeah. Um, a bunch of other stuff. It's it's just it's very cute. Mm-hmm. The um, audiobook narrator does a really great job of of putting in the voices for that. It's wonderful. Um, I forget. Does she incinerate that damsel afterwards? I don't remember. Ah, uh, I don't remember all the details of what she does with each individual. I'm not sure. Mm. I think she does incinerate the mannequin. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but also uh, related into in that interlude, the part where uh, uh, <laughs> she makes Blasto sing a love bug, love hug yeah, until terrifying. he dies. Oh, my God. It's horrible. <sighs> See, it's, it's just so, again, that's like the most her, horrifying like, the, like, thing to me. It's this it's just this mixture of like childlike joy. Yeah. And just like absolute horror. And, and sadism like yeah, i think she's like really like, enjoys how so, horrible it is it's just such an awful combination yeah yeah <laughs> my man blasto oh <sighs> he's yeah he's my my favorite character that got off way too soon <laughs> i mean it makes perfect sense narratively but yeah yeah uh, I, I really wish i had seen more of him poor guy uh, yes. do you have any other moments um I mean, I sort of, I really liked, I I mean, I know that Imp, like, went through this whole thing and, like, was kind of relearning to be herself when she, like, doesn't have Regent by her side. And she, like, went down her whole, like, murdering of Heartbreaker and collecting all of his kids that wanted to help. Um, but she doesn't take all of them, right? She only takes, like, some of them? Um, I don't know. I don't remember. I feel like there was a caveat with his kids. I feel like there's no way that, like, she, I don't... She definitely didn't like tell them. Oh, now you have to come with me. Yeah. So yeah, it was, presumably, it was like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some ran off. Yeah, but I don't know. It just it made me happy because mm-hmm. I was really hoping someone would go like avenge him, and then she did, and it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then she like <laughs> I don't know her whole exchange with Taylor in that whole moment was. I mean, it was it's amazing. pretty great. Yeah. Or like she still she has that really capacity. channeling him. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, that's our favorite moments. Yeah. Uh, let's Ooh. get into your essay, Clarence. Okay, um, so um, I originally kind of titled it as like, you know, emotion and affectation and all these like internal monologues um, with like parahuman and like societal gender norms. But, um, and I, I kind of went into into um, some like sociological papers from a mm-hmm. couple of like the decade or so back. I forget that it, oh my God, it's like 2020. Okay, so maybe it's like 15-ish years or so, but um, certainly much more up-to-date than Freud uh, when thinking of psychoanalysis. But Mm -hmm. so I kind of was like exploring this concept of like masculinity and grief in like a variety of different ages and different, you know, situations of like, you know, like widowhood and like aging or like youth and like losing friends to like violence or accidents, that sort of thing. Um, Or like loss of self, like where they're like not really like seeking psychological help or like not seeking all of this um and it it seemed to be it seemed to hold like some like uh, some relevance i think to what i wanted to talk about with with um brian uh defiant and theo um because they all kind of experience different sorts of losses in this particular section um but then i start i started kind of you know delving down a little bit deeper into like what i wanted to talk about and and how their emotions like manifest themselves mm-hmm. um and I kind of like you know got diverted from from like the gender specificity of, of like their behavior, 
Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, if we're going through, if we're if we're approaching um, the concept of like behavior and 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 um, some like self identity and like gender from from like a Judith Butler sort of standpoint of it being like um, very socially constructed, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it 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 you know kind of begs the question of like is their expression of grief or their or like the way that they they articulate their emotions um really just about gender or is it rather about like their social position um in the world like relative to like their whole identity and kind of like the power and authority that they are like placed in mm-hmm. um because like all three of them are are in in some sort of spotlight i think um in, in this particular moment like when when they're faced with these like very acute um expressions of like grief or like um emotional turmoil they're all in like very you know high intensity situations mm-hmm. um and so their expression isn't necessarily like about you know adhering to gender even if even if they articulate to themselves mm-hmm. that it like yeah. that they that the way that they make sense of it is like i have to like preserve this like you know stoic masculinity by not expressing emotion right now i don't yeah. think it's necessarily about their like gendered expression of of emotion mm-hmm. and rather like like space specific and and like you know like being being like the leaders or like being mm-hmm. being pair humans in you know kind of a visible position of power yeah it it seems to me that while um, like both, yeah, both grew and and defiant. Um, definitely articulated as like they need to like be a man and stuff. Mm-hmm. But well, it's kind of like that p- exact motivation, right? They're not like actually like I'm not being enough of a man. Yeah. But the underlying feelings that come from the um the goal of of mas- the ideals of masculinity, I think, like, do become their undercurrent motivations. Like, Brian hates appearing weak, and I think mm-hmm. that's part of it. Um, and Defiant has this aversion to being emotional, or maybe yeah, and like displaying that emotion mm-hmm. um, in like a in a like a public setting. Yeah. Um. So I feel like I feel like our understanding and their understanding of of how they like are expressing these particular feelings of like vulnerability and like grief and all of that i feel like the words that we have to make sense of it are like are kind of governed by these like ideals of masculinity Mm -hmm. yeah um but then in the same conversation it has to be like about like power and and you know like what what is expected of of like leadership which i suppose kind of falls into this whole conversation about like patriarchal ideals of leadership Mm-hmm. being this yeah. kind of like almost the epitome of masculinity mm-hmm. yeah okay so i guess i worked my way back into the <laughs> into thinking this in relation to gender because um one of the works that was talking about um uh like uh aging and like widowhood and masculinity in in terms of all of that like how to like mm-hmm. process the the you know uh bere- like how to express bereavement i guess during mm-hmm. um during kind of late life i think that's why i thought of of defiance as so old um Mm. yeah we we talked about this before we went on air about how uh we view the characters as different ages and they're very often younger than our mental image um i i don't remember if we actually see defiance age but Mm -hmm. 
I think he's more described as like a younger person, like maybe even in like his 20s, when to me he's at least like mid 30s. Yeah. Um, maybe older. And to Clarence, you said yeah, he was he like. Seemed, he seemed like, you know, mid 50s sort of thing mm-hmm. um, in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what, like where I got this kind of thought, I suppose. Um, but when I was thinking about like him losing um, Dragon, he had that very like, like, um, specific mentality of like i can't express this particular emotion in front of these other people which which time are you uh like after behemoth she gets like blown up kind of both kind of both kind of okay both situations and after saint actually Um, kills her yeah okay wait before i get too deep into that because i definitely will like go down that Mm -hmm. path and get all mixed up about my timing of things um Uh uh-huh i wanted to talk about specifically this one um sociologist was writing in like the mid 90s about mm-hmm. um like the his description of masculinity was like um a, a constantly changing collection of meanings that like we construct through mm-hmm. relationships with ourselves with each other with the world and then um he was talking about also like hegemonic masculinity of like a man in power and of power and with power um where like as the, in that's like an ideal or yeah we're of, like, like- that that definitionally like manhood is like associated mm. with with like being, being a patriarch yeah being patriarch like being having this like the attributes of like strength and like success and and reliability and control and i feel like that last one is like the aspect that we have to like keep in mind particularly when thinking about like grief and and acute like emotional vulnerability um mm-hmm. is because like if the ideal is to be in control when when there's like a loss of control um then like mm. that definitional aspect of one's identity is like in flux or like in mm-hmm. crisis yeah yeah um yes so but the thing that i pulled from specifically so i'm like going on about like this whole little thinking of process but there was something very specific that i wanted to bring up um because mm-hmm. it'll like dictate the all three of my examinations mm-hmm. um is is this concept of space mm-hmm. and like where and and when um one is able to express and process um emotions right this mm-hmm. like kind of public versus private space of right. grieving um <clears throat> which got me thinking of like public spaces of grieving aren't really like i mean we've talked about it before right of of like the memorials and that sort of thing but it's not really like mm-hmm. a, a place that a leader can go to like grieve Mm-hmm. Because if they go to grieve, it's it's almost this, like, it's always going to be a statement, I guess. Mm. Whereas their own emotional, like, turmoil and, and processing must be, like, is almost, like, expected to be done by themselves. Yeah. Um, like, they are not allowed, they, they need to be in any public-facing grieving, mm-hmm. like, sure in some aspect of, of that grieving. Like, they, they don't ask questions about like why are they gone yeah that kind of thing yeah. they only are like they are gone and now we must yeah they have to whatever. like continually present this very like steady front um mm-hmm. in front of others like when the situation is ongoing i think and even in the aftermath you have to kind of there's an expectation that the leader is able to to articulate the public's loss mm-hmm. um in in a very like controlled and and um understanding way i think mm-hmm um yeah so then it it got me thinking of like how do our kind of expectations of of this like unflappable leader um 
kind of feed into into these norms of like parahuman perception mm-hmm. of like what they're supposed to do during during these like moments of of like high stress that there there is huge amounts of like loss but they aren't able to like fully process it i guess yeah um be it like individual loss or like you know collective loss mm-hmm. um yeah so it reminds me of um during behemoth the uh, taylor picks up that one burned girl right mm-hmm. and when people watch the video afterwards they like can't watch that part yeah. someone says that um and the taylor doesn't have the option of not watching that part yeah they're kind of they have to face this and move on you know mm-hmm. like they're like continually placed into these situations where like there's just so much for them to handle um because that video right is is about like showing the public what they're up against what what pair humans are faced with all the time yeah like but then there's there's like almost an unspoken expectation that they can't let themselves get caught up in it you know like they have to actively choose to um to like continue on and like place it into this kind of you know like compartmentalize the way the taylor does Mm -hmm. um which i think is why brian and defiant and and theo are are such interesting individuals to look at um Mm -hmm. on the topic of grief and loss and kind of like emotional um expression i guess Mm -hmm. and upheaval um because they all express they they each lose like a different type of something or like individual right yeah um and they all sort of like grapple with this this like societal expectation of like strength and and unflappability and then Mm -hmm. just like the huge amounts of like emotional stress that they're placed in yeah um what they find interesting is that for most of them um we we actually see them like alone in addition and they're still like holding themselves to those expectations mm-hmm. um i think theo is one of the few where like we don't see him alone but i i think like if he was alone he actually would let himself cry and stuff like that Yeah, i think so it's only when he's in public that he won't while brian when, during his interlude we see how even while he's by himself he's like not He's he's only dealing with the trauma by like self harm mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. and Defiant is just basically trying to distract himself. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defiant very much like he he has he has like such an intense amount of things that need to happen in like a short amount of time that like mm-hmm. he's sort of like forced to address everything logistically, um, yeah. and and kind of like divorce himself from this emotion um, and like the pain it, of like losing mm-hmm. Dragon. It's interesting. He's he's done so many you know cybernetic augmentations that like he, he barely has to eat and sleep, mm-hmm. right? He, he said this is like downtime is like fifteen minutes a day less, right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder, <laughs> I, I really doubt crying is is factored into those yeah, fifteen not. minutes. Of course not. Yeah, he's probably got like yeah. a very strict you know list. One of One tier a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even. Not even. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so first, Brian. Um, we don't really see him very much in this section, I think. Um, but and and we've kind of like in the back of our mind been kind of noting his, you know, he's been struggling with his like identity, like he's been struggling with reclaiming himself. I think in his body that's like not fully his own anymore for most yeah. of Warm, right? Because um, his second trigger event happened in the middle of of Slaughterhouse Nine, and mm-hmm. we've we've come so very far from that, right? And he's still sort of like in the midst of of like you know kind of piecing himself back together i think so yeah sort he of doesn't like, participate in that final fight yeah. because he's yeah still can't 
Not that that's um, a mark against him, but no. But but it is something to be said about like when he when he enters into that headspace that either like is just like he's in a bad headspace or like if he's kind of like having this like PTSD sort of thing. Um, when he's in these like high stress situations, like like Echidna and 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 Behemoth, he he takes himself out of them. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't remain in the same like um, place, right? So he like removes himself from the high stress situation and and like is- not necessarily isolates himself, but definitely like you know secludes himself from that mm-hmm. in order to like process internally. Yeah, and even if he has it- someone else there, it's not really he doesn't necessarily lean upon. Whoever mm-hmm. it is that like Taylor sends along, mm-hmm. um, but he does need someone around. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I hadn't noticed that in the past three big battles that he was part of, um, Noel, Behemoth, and the Slaughterhouse Nine Thousand. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he is removed from the final part. And I think so. The first one, I don't think it's it's voluntary, right? And the Behemoth one is not either. He gets injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he, he feels guilty burned. about it. Yeah, and then he's kind of like stuck in this kind of loop. Yeah, um, and then but in the slaughterhouse nine thousand, I think that's the first time we see him voluntarily not participate. Yeah, which is kind of growth, I think. Yeah, I think so because he knows he knows that level of involvement will kind of set him back, but it's also mm. that's much later, right? That's that's after like a year and a half or two so. years. Yeah, two years. Yeah, a year and of, a half is probably yeah. of you know time for him to like sit down and actually process i mean who knows what else has been going on right and he like after after skitter left he like kind of returned to that immediate aftermath right Mm -hmm. and so he's kind of had to like build himself back up again Mm -hmm. so it's been quite a journey right and we haven't been around for most of it Mm -hmm. but i feel like it is definitely something worth noting that he voluntarily identifies that as a situation that could like um could sort of like set him back into into that mind or like into that headspace mm-hmm. um yeah yeah but he definitely is is he's the one that like has to kind of you know take he has to he has to t- like retake a th- like um i guess like place himself in like the place of importance i guess you could say mm-hmm. um and like his his like mental health um because his like emotional rock that he is like named um with with taylor she doesn't really like offer that yeah. So he has to sort of like establish it himself. I mean, like during when when she goes to check in, um, after he gets burned in the behemoth fight, where where Imp is like, you know, like you know, he's not doing great mentally, you know, like more mentally than physically, and then she's kind of like, ah, I hope he could bounce back, to this. and then like immediately turns back <laughs> yeah. and is like, okay, now I have things to do. Um, yeah. Where like the support that he creates, the like external support he creates, he has to, he it like it doesn't remain stable. So he sort of like has to supplement it, I guess. Um, I wonder if if Cozen, um like has like provides him emotional yeah. support and actually like helps him because um, he's not like I mean he does take himself out of the situation. That's a, a measure of growth, mm-hmm. even if for the most part he doesn't seem fully better either. Um, and presumably she also retreats from from the fight with him. Yeah. So it's somebody. It seemingly Cozen is someone who who has placed him at the level of importance that he needs. Right. Right. That, but we don't know if he is like letting himself be vulnerable yeah, vulnerable yeah. around her. We don't really we don't really know the end of this this tale, right? But mm-hmm. um there definitely definitely seems to be at least some measure of growth. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. But I mean, 
it's also like there's never really like an end to it you know yeah it's like always getting better and always like growing and that sort of thing um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but it was very interesting because spatially he removes himself right in order to like create a space for him to sort of open himself up emotionally um Mm -hmm. or like at least like you know kind of sift through things right and work himself back into his like regular headspace Mm -hmm. um but when you start thinking about like defiant um and his loss of of dragon in both situations where like right after behemoth where he's not totally sure if she's going to return um and then Mm -hmm. later on when saint actually like does kind of you know destroy her um and she he's he's kind of left in the wake of her absence um in a situation where he cannot remove himself he doesn't have like the freedom to like just step back and like take a moment for himself yeah um and so but it is interesting because he he already has like an internal space that's Mm -hmm. like this like insular space that's like built in right with his suit Mm -hmm. that like exists solely with him and dragon right so this like um, communication yeah, I, I just had some thoughts, actually. Mm. Um, yes. So, Dragon essentially is her equipment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she, she has, like, a main body sometimes, but, um, like, she is the, the machine, right? She is the parts. All, and all, all She constructed all the ships. She constructed a lot of Defiance suit, too, mm-hmm. right? And she is those things, yeah. basically. So, it's kind of like, on his body, in his body, are, like, pieces of her. Yeah. Like, and also, they're he's so kind of intertwined, like that he cannot untangle himself from her. Yeah, you know? and like she helps operate the things that he's using, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like he's flying around in her corpse. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I think of it more of like they have like built themselves. Mm. It's like two trees, you know, that like have mm-hmm. grown, yeah. into like and intertwined and like cannot be untangled. Mm-hmm. And then one tree has like yeah. died while so the they, other one like, is still they have, like they have growing. become one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then now he's like only a half. Yeah. Um, and and so like that that's like a huge amount of loss, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that he has no time to process. Yeah. Um, because it's like immediately he absolutely needs to do all these things. Um, in terms of like you know the world ending and all of this, blah blah blah, you know. Um, also, just to extend the metaphor a little bit mm-hmm. more, um, uh, it's kind of like uh, Saint starts using Dragon's stuff, yeah. and that's like kind of like another kind of violation that he's like mm-hmm. having to ignore too. Um, I think like I mean she triggered when they like took her suits, right? Yeah. I think that was the implication. So like I mean that was like a really traumatic event for her, and now after she's dead, it's happening again. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. very much like it's pretty messed up. It's really, it's a really horrible situation that we don't really get a lot of time to like see and like mm-hmm. process ourselves because like we just kind of pop in and out um, when Weaver does and when we kind of see it happen. Um, but immediately we're kind of like whisked off, whisked, whisked off mm-hmm. um, with that like dream team or whatever. You know, the whole group of people that that Weaver like accumulates and is often yeah. other things, um, but. There is this, this, um, like, there's so much that happens in the span of, like, such a short amount of time that he has to, like, deal with. But, like, yeah, has no, he has no time at all to deal with it all. You know, like, 
he he has to make it unnoticeable to others, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think he can't. He can't even say it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know. Like uh, Taylor asks him about Dragon, and he does. Like he just doesn't respond. Yeah, he's and I wonder like, if he's like trying. I think the thought that that Taylor sort of like implies, or when you first read it, is kind of like he's keeping it a secret for some reason, like maybe mm-hmm. for morale's reason, but maybe it's just that he literally like can't bring himself yeah, to say it. Yeah, he can't articulate it, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, um, before before all of that happens, when when um, in the aftermath of the behemoth fight, he has this whole like, you know, monologue type thing where he's thinking about like, um, like his childhood and how he like didn't have that sort of like familial unit and all of this and like, Mm-hmm. didn't really make friends blah, blah blah all of this like he he had this sort of like loneliness and then she is there right like she fills that you know the like um companionship role i guess um yeah and then now he's like contemplating he's like you know did did most people like know how to handle this sort of thing like the absence of someone they cared about did they have an easier time handling the moments when they weren't sure they'd ever see those people again um mm-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't have the like um like emotional stepping stones, I guess, or like maturity, I suppose, just because of experience um, on how to like prepare himself for that possibility of her not being there. Even though, I mean, I, I assume they like have talked about it a lot when they're kind of like sorting through her code and everything. Yeah. But I think he just, he doesn't, he doesn't have the like practice, I guess, of losing people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or the yeah. practice of like processing he didn't the have loss. Many, he didn't have many people to lose. Yeah. 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 Um, because later on, um, he's thinking about, like, if he will be able to, like, talk to Chevalier, you know, mm-hmm. to, like, make sure that everyone's okay, like, what's happening, the protectorate, his friend, all of this. And he's, like, he doesn't trust himself to, like, maintain that stoicism, like, to stay calm mm-hmm. and, like, you know, not say anything about, about Dragon, right? Because at the same time, like, he, he, isn't, he hasn't told anyone about this, right? So it's, yeah. like, this, this whole insular world that, like, makes up almost everything of himself that he hasn't articulated to anyone you know Mm -hmm. um and i feel like that loss is something that like is is so hard to process because you can't even you can't express that to someone else Mm -hmm. um which i feel like is is why the presence of weaver in the moments that she like kind of acknowledges it um like she she she's been let into this insular world almost you Mm -hmm. know as this observer sort of thing she's Um, kind of like an estranged daughter yeah. sort of <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, especially after he has his whole, like, moment of growth and he, like, apologizes and all of this. And he's like, yeah, I've been talking to Dragon and here's my emotional growth. I want to apologize, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, like, there, there is this, like, tentative, um, you know, sort of connection, I think, there. And, and mm-hmm. even if she doesn't really know how to navigate it and he doesn't really know how to navigate it, they have this moment of, like acknowledging the mm-hmm. you know the sort of like gravity i guess of it mm-hmm. um, there's solidarity there yeah 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 um but when he's he's having this whole like internal debate about like curbing his emotions right i'm in order this is this is after the behemoth fight he's he's like he's thinking about you know how how to you know remain this like emotional rock right and he thinks about it as this like masculine ideal um but then he's i also like i don't know if it's if it's just like what he has articulated to himself as mm-hmm. being like this is what I must live up to and it and because it is me and and that must mean that it's like a masculine ideal, but I, I don't know, I feel like it's almost 
like the entirety of parahumans because mm-hmm. he's sit- he's like this is post post behemoth right he's looking at new new delhi like contemplating the death of his beloved and like and looking at like the the like destruction mm-hmm. you know like and he's he's thinking about like i can't i can't show my emotions to chevalier i don't know if i'll be calm enough but it's like i don't know it it, it seemed it seemed like he was he was telling himself that he like couldn't he couldn't be human in the face of like such mm-hmm. destruction you know like that he he had to remain in control yeah um because if he like stopped then who knows what would happen sort of thing yeah. um which i felt like that was that was one of the moments that i felt like there was this overlap of like how he articulated his like gendered expectations versus like hero standards that like mm-hmm. have been established yeah the the heroic standards are very masculine mm-hmm. like it it feels like um on many many levels um i mean alexandria is like i mean she she basically um her powers and everything are sort of like the superman mm-hmm. right package yeah, essentially yeah. And which is a sort of masculine. I mean, she, she has physical strength and speed, um, and she is like stoic, and she is, you know, um, one of the the big leaders. Um, and yeah, I think pretty much everywhere that's sort of the case. Yeah. And I mean, like the whole. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of like the default construction of uh, organizations in today's world, but it's it's a hierarchical um, organization, mm-hmm. right? The time for it. And I mean that structure is either either stems from or reflects um, patriarchal hierarchies, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we sort of like I feel like we get a very like distinct read into into what those expectations are, mm-hmm. um, and then how he sort of like he like he like creates this internal space for him to process. I think. Um, yeah. Even in the midst of like all of this turmoil where he has to kind of turn to to more like logistical of like dealing with saint and like you know helping taylor like what she needs from all the different suits and like kind of doing all the things that that need to get done the like material things um i feel like the he like has this like privacy of his own mind in in this insular world that he's created with dragon and a suit um Mm -hmm. that like becomes for a moment his like space of grieving um even if he doesn't necessarily have the time to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because in, in the terms of, of like the hero standards, mm-hmm. um, because our third person, Theo, um, I feel like he doesn't do that, I guess. He like, he knows what they are. He acknowledges the reality and what other people's expectations of him are. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he like, he looks at Taylor and sees, the like the the callousness i guess almost yeah that she has like she's like taken on those though that like necessity of of compartmentalization to an extreme and he's mm-hmm. like i can't do that yeah um and he doesn't he doesn't want to mm-hmm. either yeah he's like so he's sort of like he's kind of dealing with the reality of like he he being he's the like last standing individual i guess right against like world destruction right um, mm-hmm. he sort of like set this off and, and immediately when he like enters into this, when we enter into the like, you know, Slaughterhouse 9000, like, uh, progression, right. in arc, uh, 26, when he sees mm-hmm. like the carnage of Killington, he, he's like, he, he notices two things is that like Taylor is like frighteningly alive and like ready to do things. 
like ready to like move on and and just kind of progress through this like game that Jack has set up, mm-hmm. and he is like ready to fall apart, and that yeah. she she very intentionally ignores how he's ready to fall apart. Yeah. Um. Throughout the whole time, like every time, like the the whole arc that we're we're along with her, she's very much intentionally like not acknowledging the fact that he's like like in the midst of battle grappling with the loss that is being experienced um mm-hmm. and all of the like death that's happening um yeah because he's he's sort of like he's been preparing this whole time right um and he has all these people who are like instruct him how to be like this great hero right but like he doesn't i mean i, I he, it's not that he doesn't live up to it it's just that he doesn't he like rejects the mm-hmm. necessity to like um divorce himself from like his emotions yeah i mean when he's fighting jack he doesn't you know him him being emotional in other parts does not like slow him down or anything yeah yeah uh, he doesn't he doesn't let his emotions like over like overwhelm him but he definitely mm-hmm. is aware of how overwhelming they yeah, can be yeah yeah because there's Just, there's a couple yeah. of moments um where like either like directly after or like in the mm-hmm. midst of battle he'll like take a moment and like really sort of like acknowledge the like the reality of what's happening yeah. um and kind of like the the weight of what's happening mm-hmm. um and then kind of rejoin you know he like steals himself goes in there's one particular moment i don't know if i will be able to find it in all of my little lists of things um ah yes where he he has been like sitting there thinking um about like the perpetual the quiet perpetual horror of knowing that crusader is still screaming and like the loss of mm-hmm. his family and like all of this and like the mixed emotions he has of of knowing that they are either doomed to like this perpetual horror or like or death or like that sort of thing like he's having this very large moment of of you know um overwhelming grief right before mm-hmm. the the final battle and then um when it's time to go he dons his mask and he thinks to himself, mm. Gollum now. And then even even in his like self-referential name, he like, instead of being Gollum now, Theo thought, it's Gollum now, Gollum thought, right? Mm. Where he like physically shifts back into right. the embodiment fully, of yeah. what everyone expects him to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's just, he, and it, it's just, he feels everything immediately and he's very aware that everyone else isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because he has... Earlier in that whole conversation, he's like, uh, he was thinking about like what people would say if they came and talked to him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to acknowledge, like, I don't want to seek out help because I, mm-hmm. I, there, there's the distinct possibility that they, none of them would offer any sort of emotional support. Or they wouldn't without consequences. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of like, he knows, he knows what the hero standards are. Like he knows, he knows mm-hmm. the, the almost the limitations i guess of what other people Mm -hmm. would do um yeah he's just very aware of like everyone watching him and not watching him at the same Mm -hmm. time um yeah but but there's there's one particular moment i think during that during um in killington where where he's talking about uh oh the amount of people like where he's kind of he's like i'm not in a great headspace i'm terrified right when weaver's like Mm -hmm. what are you doing how are you doing blah 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 you know um and he's like thinking about the scale of how many people are dying mm-hmm. right he's like uh you know jack murdered like a few hundred people here this is just as a warm-up right how many people on the periphery yeah. of it all are affected and he's like thinking about the ripples and all of that and then she's like you can't think about things on that scale 
where she's she's very much like you can only think in the next few moments right make the decision do mm-hmm. the thing make the decision do the thing and he's like i i can't i can't not think about all of these people because he feels you know personally responsible to them mm-hmm. and i feel like in every moment that he like takes a step back and really thinks about everything um he like becomes this like space of like public and private grieving mm-hmm. right because like wherever he is yeah yeah, yeah. Because even in the midst of battle, like, he takes a moment to, like, to mourn the people that have died um, in a way that none of the other heroes could. Mm -hmm. And then he also, like, acknowledges his own loss of, like, his family and, like, his, of Aster and, like, even, I feel like Mm -hmm. even himself, you know, where, like, he sort of, there was a moment where he was, like, contemplating the future or something, where he's, like, you know, I could, after this, I could you know, go finish high school and go to college or something. They're like, they're, he had this whole little, like, aside mm-hmm. of, like, thinking about what could happen after everything. And then he, like, brings himself back where he's like, but they would still be dead. You know, like, there, right. there is there is no Crusader escaping. Crusader would still be screaming. The, yeah. What I have done and, like, what, what is happening right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, related to that, he, uh, with all of that, he continuously acknowledges his, like, culpability. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, he's not actually responsible for this. This is all Jack Slash, but he kind of set it off. And I think that's a very, very distinct contrast to Taylor, who will never acknowledge, like, mm-hmm. her blame on... Well, I mean, she does a couple times, but um, we've got Ward... Um, we've got Ward points out how it's basically her that, like, set off the, like, ABB um, situation because she mm-hmm. took out Lung and then Bakuda... Um, sort of retaliated and then because of all the conflict a lot Leviathan came and then <laughs> the Slaughterhouse Nine came because Leviathan came Yeah, and so she's kind of like the first you know she's the inciting incident mm-hmm. even if she's not like actually responsible for any of those events yeah. she did like kick that first stone essentially but she doesn't do she doesn't do acknowledgement of that she does no you know justifications to herself she does like a couple times come close when mm-hmm. you know like mannequin comes and kills people in her territory and she's like that's kind of my fault for setting him off yeah um but i i mean she also fights against it because i think clock is the one that points that out and she's like i tried my best yeah but... yeah but she doesn't see her yeah. like just by her presence she has you know set it off yeah and i, feel I think like... she's mixed on that one yeah yeah but i think i think that's a, like that that is because she does that compartmentalization, mm-hmm. you know, where she like she doesn't she refuses to to fully process everything that has happened. I think where she's like kind of placed some things in boxes, and and not reopened them. Um, yeah. And I feel like I feel like with Theo, he doesn't he doesn't place him in a box. Like he looks through everything and examines it to like its fullest extent mm-hmm. um, in the moment as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he just he just carries so much weight around with him of like yeah. his own acts and like other people's and all of this. Um, yeah, yeah. I had this term that I was mm-hmm. thinking, but I don't know if it's quite the term that I'm looking for. But it's he he's like a reliquary of like world loss, mm-hmm. mm. um, where like he holds he holds like the power to like stop everything, right? Because he mm-hmm. he he could either be the one that sets up the apocalypse or stops it because of Jack and all right. of this. Like so, he's this he he sort of. I feel like we'll we'll carry everything that happens after this in his mm-hmm. like mind, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. He has he just has so much emotion. Yeah. And he, it's very admirable yeah. as as a hero. It, like, Theo uh you know, he got over the white supremacist influences. Mm-hmm. That's very impressive. Uh, as is, and it seems like he's gotten over the toxic masculinity, which also his father was imparting. Yeah, I'm certain yeah. of it. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and he, he, but he like he he knows how to walk the line where he's like very aware of mm-hmm. of the expectations of what he's supposed to act like, and then mm-hmm. how he actually thinks of himself and acts. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because like even his costume, where he like he chooses this mask that's like very stoic and like with the expression either like neutral or like a little stern, where he like. He knows he knows what part he's supposed to play, mm-hmm. but he he is unwilling to compromise like himself, you know, and like he's he's unwilling yeah. to like become numb. I think like mm-hmm. some of the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Unwilling to become numb is, I think, a good summary of his character in this. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yes. Yeah, so there are my three individuals that I charted through. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've come to the conclusion. I I feel like it. It's a mixture of like. I, I think the exploration is is worth it on its own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I guess there's like influences of like gender behavior, and then also like being parahumans and like being leaders in a world that they're like supposed yeah. to. It's the whole thing of like you can't express your fear, otherwise mm-hmm. everyone else is like, oh my gosh, we're gonna fall apart, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think it's um uh yeah I, I, it's interesting just to consider like what the alternatives would be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, this is just a we're, we're the the hegemonic order right now is that we're organized in a you know in hierarchies yeah. in every aspect of our lives, right? In um, government, in our our jobs, in schools, um, and very very often in our families too, mm-hmm. right? Um, almost all the time. Yeah, a little common, but wolf. it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> and it, but it doesn't have to actually be organized that way. It can be organized in other ways, like. Um, uh, if the young bond were not uh, a cult, theoretically, you know, yeah. people working yeah, together sort of like, like even that. Distribution yeah, things. where yeah. It, in a positive way rather than in the really, really, really bad way, yeah. but yeah. where it's just like a team, um, without like a specific like person in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would it could be yeah, like um, a communal more positive sharing of yeah. powers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taylor is, uh, I mean, she's she ends up leaning like very, very masculine. And I think mm-hmm. for whatever reason, she's not that in touch with um, like femininity uh, like whatsoever. I think she kind of rejects it all the time. Yeah. Um, well, she also has like some internalized like misogyny almost. I, I think like, so too. I feel like we get with some of like her internal monologues and like her descriptions of other characters, specifically other like women, um, that she can be like really derisive. Yeah. Um, I mean, it starts from the very beginning, that first chapter where she's describing Madison, right? Yeah. Because Madison is all cutesy and stuff, and therefore she's like b- because Madison sucks for many other mm-hmm, reasons. Mm-hmm. That means every part of her has to suck, including the parts that are yeah, just like there's just so much feminine like, things. There's so many like physical aspects that she like mm-hmm. dismisses out of hand. Yeah. That like don't really have anything to do with the character's like flaws. She mm-hmm. just like has equated those as being a flaw. Yeah. And very often those are more like feminine mm-hmm. type aspects. Yeah. Because she I think she basically like just values like strength and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Um like I mean, you know, take Glenn, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> finds it very hard to respect him until he like shows his expertise yeah. and and everything um because he's a he likes image mm-hmm. rather than like the practicality aspects um the physical aspects uh, and also i just want to point out that her power is extremely that like she's extremely controlling mm-hmm. and um yeah she's she's the one central figure that everyone else must obey that's her whole thing essentially in her power and her leadership style yeah she's very much hierarchical and she like places herself on top yeah yeah but yeah there you go there's my Mm -hmm. usings okay (laughs) um so before we get into my essay uh we're going to do a little interlude so this segment is called rate that apocalypse uh so we have um during these arcs there was a lot of um just a lot of apocalypses happened mm-hmm. or a lot of near apocalypses that could have ended the world but didn't because another one did. Um, and uh, yeah, so we have a we have a lot of options here. We're going to run through them. We're going to rate them, discuss them. Like which one would you prefer to happen if you had to choose one? Um, pros and cons, right? Um, so we have we have six apocalypses here. If you guys know any others that we don't mention um, that were like uh, mentioned in this section or, or any part before now. Um, yeah, go ahead yeah, and mention it. Us. So number one, we have uh, the Endbringers, right? Who are mul- multiple versions of the apocalypse. Yes. And they're definitely local apocalypses. Definitely. Uh, New Delhi <laughs> uh, suffered an apocalypse. Horrible. Definitely. Yeah. Just, um, I mean, just think about the infrastructure you have to rebuild. Yeah. At that point, you just, I, you just, what a no, headache. it's gone. It, it's also irradiated too. So. Oh, yeah. Ah. Oh, yeah. Awful. Awful. Um. So number two, or, okay, number one. We didn't rate it. Uh, the, yeah, we didn't rate it. Okay, number one, the slow grinding down of humanity in a bunch of local apocalypses. Yeah, city by city. Uh, how would you city by city? How would you rate this end of the world? Um, and and what what's your what's your scale? Um, I feel like this is about like a like a seven. Okay, a seven. A seven out of eleven. Out of eleven, uh, because. There is, like, because it's so slow, like, because it's, like, city by city, Mm -hmm. there's, like, a huge amount of anticipation. Mm -hmm. And so you're, like, living for years and, like, your whole life. You could be, you could have been born, Mm -hmm. you know, um, after the first first one, right? And so, like, your entire Mm -hmm. life, you just anticipate dying, but you don't know how to predict it. Yeah. You're just waiting for one of them to appear in your city. Yeah. You know? I wonder what the like the final point of it is, right? Like all the cities are destroyed, yeah. right? There's no infrastructure, like the only there's only broken roads left, right? But humanity is like still scattered. Like we're still like alive, yeah, right? Yeah. Because We've they're not going to like, hunt us down rural. one by one. Yeah. So we're Pestle just like life. we yeah, we just are basically like hunter-gatherer tribes yeah. and maybe some agriculture with the caveat that every now and then if a village gets too populous, you know, gets a couple thousand people, uh, oh and then comes and destroys it. Yeah, it's like smog and the hobbits. We're huh? basically that town. It would be the whole world would be the town waiting uh-huh. for the dragon to come and like mm. destroy, right? And then they like mm-hmm. kind of rebuild and pretend everything's fine, yeah. And then like anticipate the next attack. So I feel like it would just yeah. be so grueling mm-hmm. to just like live in a constant state of fear. Yeah, and and eventually. Eventually, um, there will, like would be no good places for towns. Yeah, like there's it, no it, towns. Considering it goes on indefinitely, yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. <laughs> so maybe seven point five. 
7.5. So so the higher it is, the the worse it is, is what you're saying. Okay. Uh, Number two, uh, Circe's Time Bomb, which, uh, again... Um, the the feat was that it could wipe India off of the map, yeah. which is, I don't know if y'all know this, but India is a pretty big huge. place. Huge. India is is large. Um, yeah. So I feel like this one though worrying. is like a. I mean, in if we're, I mean, if we're rating it like survivability, this would be at uh-huh. like a two, very unsurvivable. Okay, um, so we so we have multiple scales here. Yes, let, let, let's name the scale. So we have one to eleven. Um, that is um, how much you don't want it to happen. Yeah. How how bad? How bad is it? And then we have another scale. Let's call it like let's do the one to five because yeah. you know v- varied up one to five of survivability. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the inbringers would be survivability is about four. You know, because like okay. yeah, you just have to like reverse. The, like, I think the it might even ages. be a little bit higher than four. Yeah, maybe like. Wait, no. Oh, sorry. I got the scales mixed up again. Yes, four out of five makes sense. Yeah, yes. four out of five. Yeah. yeah. Where it's just like, you know, like reverse industrialization, right? Mm-hmm. Just everybody yeah. returns to the to the countryside and like develops a scale of like escaping, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like there's, there's a larger guarantee because there are such concentrated attacks. Mm-hmm. But if the time bomb is able to wipe out an entire like country in like one mm-hmm. go i mean that's i mean that's pretty bad you know it's like worse that's than pretty bad the, like uh uh yeah one of those things that people were worried about with the cold war um nuclear uh the nuclear bombs yes those. yeah yeah yes yeah so, yeah we have no idea how it would affect the, the rest of the world either yeah 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 so that one seems much more of like a you don't really have there, there's not quite there's not as much time to like escape mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm so out of 11, though, how bad is it of a way to go? Um, like if you were to choose an apocalypse, what would you what would you rate this one? This one. Wait, I forgot. Is is the 11 the best or the worst? Out of 11. Yeah, 11 is... Best way to go. How is really bad. Really bad. Hmm. I, I would say this mm-hmm. one is probably about three. Because okay. it's really quick. A three. So, like, you, it's so not, you would choose it over a lot. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. But it is total. It is total. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's let's move on. Number three, Nilbog's creatures spilling over the wall. This sort of presumes that they uh, continue reproducing until they sort of like you know take over yeah. a continent. Really um, horrible. Just being roaming monsters. Like that that uh, in um one of the Winnie Pooh Winnie the Pooh um <laughs> like VHS tapes. There's this uh-huh. he like, dreams about heflumps, and they just like there's this whole it's super trippy, and there's like twelve okay. billion heflumps. Like it, it's like okay. it's like if you just like control copy like if you like you know um like uh, you copy and, and paste a huge amount of of the mm-hmm. same thing just over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. and until mm-hmm. it like eventually subsumes the entire I- like your entire you know um periphery right everything you mm-hmm. can't escape i feel like that's what this would mm-hmm. be okay um yeah so i'm gonna say um on the scale of like one to eleven mm-hmm. nine because they probably wow, would eat pretty, you alive. So it's worse than the Endbringers. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's a, a much more like personal yeah, death. I feel like I feel each like individual each death would be like, more horrible. They, they. I feel like it would be like a they consume you sort of thing. You know. Yeah. And like, I you're feel like around the for fact it. that you can fight back, but like not actually win. Yeah. Like with Endbringers, like so you're, you can't do anything yeah. unless you have powers, right? But with these, like you could theoretically like fight off a couple, mm-hmm. but eventually they'll get you. I think that adds to the horror. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, on the survivability scale? I'm going to say... Mm, wait, how much... What did I... I said two on the time bomb. Then I feel like mm-hmm. this is like a 2.5. Okay, 2.5. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so number four, uh, the Slaughterhouse 9000 roaming the world and another set were on the way. This is more local. I don't think the entire world would end. Yeah, this is more um, like... Unless they just kept pumping them out, but... More concentrated. In, let's say you're like in the region and no one is coming to like stop it right yeah yeah if you lived in killington for example you're definitely gonna die you know yeah there's you're definitely, definitely gonna, gonna be die. like huge amounts but i also feel like there is the possibility like there's i mean maybe not but i feel like there's always a possibility of like reaching them you know like they're not they're not like un like you can converse with them you know like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a level of negotiation that does not mm. exist on the other three that we've mentioned. Mm-hmm, 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 um, mm-hmm. So I feel like survivability is probably more like a 3.18. Uh, okay. But okay. The, the, like, if you were to die in this situation, it would not be pleasant. Like, it worse than right. being eaten alive. So I f- Oh, even worse. Yeah, okay. because there's a variety of, like, they, this is all, like, they've been honing their skills, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, so I right, right. feel like it would probably be like a 10. Okay, yeah, a 10 on the scale to 11, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think like if it was Grey Boy specifically, that's 11. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, number five. Um, This didn't actually happen, and I don't think it would have, but theoretically, Dragon going full Skynet, um, going full evil AI mm-hmm. that doesn't actually care about humanity... How bad is that apocalypse? Now, there's there's multiple versions of this, right? There's the one where she just like... He tries to exterminate all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the Which other one. I feel one. like she would be very effective at. I, yeah, I do too. I, I think out of all of these, I think she, that would be like the most effective at like actually getting that goal. On the other hand, she could go like um, runaway care, caretaker where she like Matrix style like mm, captures everyone yeah. and like doesn't kill them, but like doesn't give them freedom either. I feel like the first one, if she just like killed everyone just like Mm -hmm. you know humans are extinct that would be Mm -hmm. definitely one on the survivability skill i don't think you could escape because they're like we're so surrounded by tech they're like Mm -hmm. and she would be so efficient you know um Mm -hmm. but i also don't think that she would like draw it out in like a torturous sort of way so i feel Mm -hmm. like on the one to eleven scale it would probably be around like a two or three okay okay yeah, um, all right. Because she'd be very like systematic about it, and it wouldn't. Yeah, be... Yeah, she just like sh- it wouldn't be like you just torture. get be like blasted. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if it's the second one where she like has control over everyone, but mm-hmm. offers no free will, mm-hmm. I feel like everyone would survive, mm-hmm. but it would be horrible. So horrible. probably like a eight point five. What if it wasn't like like I mean, what if she just like put you in a tube and pumped you full of heroin forever? I feel like out of the ways to go, that's not too bad. I mean, perhaps. I don't... I mean, I'll take it over getting eaten alive, you know? That's true. I'll get... I'll, I would take it... Honestly, I would take it over being vaporized. But is... I feel like vaporization is faster. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. But uh, vaporization, you don't have an eternity of um, bliss, essentially. So true. Pros and, cons, pros and cons, pros and cons. Last apocalypse here. Um, I actually, after writing it, um, I realized there's actually two versions of this. That's the cyan apocalypses. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, so number 6A, uh, that is the one that we see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which we don't know the full implications of, but, you know, he sinks, a con- he sinks 
the UK with a blast. Yes. So very that's pretty fast. significant. Very efficient. And sort of the implication that he's going to keep doing that. Yeah. Um, it's very, like, physical. It's very, um, you know, place by place. Mm-hmm. Now, the other one would be the entity apocalypse, which is uh, the conclusion of the cycle, and then every single Earth in existence, and all the ex- existences, uh, blows up. Yes. Hmm. I mean, that one's pretty efficient, right? That that gets that, that is gets pretty done. efficient. I yeah, I feel like this is a fierce one, like even more. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more painful because it's not like everyone gets disintegrated. Yeah, it's the earth shatters beneath your feet, and then you like get crushed or burned or whatever. So I feel um, like I feel like on the one to eleven scale, that would be about like a six. Okay, a six, not that bad. Survivability that bad. zero. Zero. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I would say in terms of like efficiency and mm-hmm. and um thoroughness mm-hmm. it would be like a from 1 to 6 it would be a 6. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I mean in addition like you're dying for a good cause yeah. kind of, you know? Like you know maybe they eventually solve entropy and your your you never know. earth explosion you never know. helped out with that. Yeah. Although you really they really just could like move over to Mars and just blow up Mars Very instead. True. Like but there's no life forms to, you know, kind of download all of their Sacrifice. information. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, but the other apocalypse, um, and this is also maybe a little bit of speculation on what's going on in the next couple of arcs. Mm. Um, how bad is that one, Clarence? Mm. I mean, it's it's almost like an inbringers on a larger scale, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I feel like and it's... And faster. Yeah, and it's faster. So there is no... There's not as much anticipation, but there's mm-hmm. less time to escape, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would be an eight or maybe a nine on the okay one to eleven scale. So that's that's pretty high. You do not want that one to happen. Yeah. Well, it just that that one's it's it's both like efficient, but then it's also like messy. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's bit by bit. Yeah. Continental shelf by continental. Yeah. Sh- continental shelf. Because I feel like that level of destruction, even no matter how efficient it happens, like there's going to be huge repercussions, like in like the climate and and um like the the way that the like natural earth operates you know like mm-hmm. there would be a lot of disruption um in nature in terms in like in addition to like all of the human human disaster so i feel like that would i feel like it would just get really messy mm-hmm. um and there would just yeah. be so much fear and 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 dread that spreads like super mm-hmm. fast um so I feel like survivability of that would be like a uh maybe like a two point seven five. Okay. Yeah, this is pretty high. It is high. But not like it but it's not Yeah. Um but it's not it's yeah. not like it, you mm-hmm. it's not like the localized ones. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's there's perhaps enough time for some people to move, but not enough for like everybody to. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good scale. Thank you. Um, so that is the apocalypses we've rated this this week. We rated about seven. Uh, if you have any, you know, uh, other apocalypses that we didn't mention, um, I'm sure there's at least one uh, that's not on here. Or maybe you want to rate um, apocalypses from other Wild Bill works. Uh, please do. Ooh, yes. You can add your own ratings. Um, please explain them. If you disagree with any of the ratings that, that happen here, uh, go ahead and leave it in the comments. Let us know. Yes. Tell uh, us your really reasons. We appreciate it. Tell us your reasons. What's your favorite way to die? <laughs> okay, uh, let's move into to my essay before we before we wrap up. Mm. Um, I'll try to be a little bit quicker here, uh, not just because I have less material. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I wanted to talk about um, 
we, we talked about last last week about maybe plotting uh, Theo and and Taylor on the hero's journey, mm-hmm. right? Joseph Campbell's um, monomyth and sort of seeing how that matches up. Um, and I did that here, and it actually, I I think it matches up fairly easily. But I think that's kind of the whole point is that it it matches up almost everywhere, yeah. um, with it with exceptions. Uh, generally, though, I wanted to talk about um, narratology, which is the study of narratives, right? Yeah. Um, and it's a, a structuralist field, very much focused on what are the the backgrounds, um, what are the yeah, what are the structures that things fall over, uh, fall into, uh, focusing a lot on story arcs and how those are shaped, but also like the individual mythemes, like in the same way that um, parts of a word are phonemes, mythemes are like parts of a story. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Mm-hmm, which is a fun word. Oh, I really like I it. I like yeah. that word. So like the 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 wizard mentor, right? Mm-hmm. That's a mytheme. Yeah. Um, although you could define that different ways, just the mentor or the helper or the animal sidekick or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean tropes, essentially. Basically, basically. <laughs> it's just another but word for sounds, tropes. You know, it's fancier. It sounds fancier than tropes. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think it has more the implication of like the basic blocks yeah. rather than yeah. like every permutation. Mm-hmm. Um, so narratology starts uh, really uh, with um, the Russian formalists who uh, were talking about um, reducing like yeah their stories into um, first like the uh, these ideas of like spheres of action mm-hmm. or um, like functions, and depending on how you combine these spheres of action, um, you, you come up with a different story. Uh, another like metaphor that is used sometimes is in the same way that grammar is the structure of a sentence, um, and individual parts of a sentence are like placed in a different order mm-hmm. to create meaning. Yeah. Um, a narrative is a bunch of different mythemes or um, like kinds of action placed in a different order with different meanings. And sometimes there's like set places for these. So in the same way that you view a sentence and there's a proper place to put your verb, uh, proper order to put your your noun, mm-hmm. um, there is the same thing with um, with narratives and characters and beats and stuff. Yeah. Ah. So it's so like funny how, how much we like to put things in orders, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, an important question to ask mm-hmm. um, is uh, why why do we do this? <laughs> why does it matter um, that very often a hero's journey will start with a call to adventure, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, one, the obvious one is that it helps us construct you know better stories following these these guidelines. Mm-hmm. But two, also just um, the more we can recognize like what a story is, I think the easier we can see like why it works on us, and it also like dispels a lot of the mysticism around yeah. it. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, if you look at a religious text and you're like, oh, that's this story beat, mm-hmm. that's this story beat, um, in that it's reflected here, here, and here, and all these other places, um, it, um, I think, helps you un- better understand that it's not just, like, this one... Yeah, it's not, like, um, individual. Yeah, yeah. It's not a completely unique uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Or you can view it sort of the other way as, like, a lot of other things being a template off of this one almost perfect form that kind of thing i feel like it also like once we so often we we create you know categories and and you know ways to understand things and like Mm -hmm. uh we we create a template or like a uh ideal right and then Mm -hmm. there's so much that like builds off of the ideal and like you know like breaks from and like subverts the the 
you know, structures and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, and they become significant because they are subverting. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're like devoid of the influence because yeah. they, you wouldn't have gotten to that point without diverging from the normal narrative, yeah. right? Ah, I feel like that it's yeah. like the what we were talking about a while ago with Althusser and like ideology mm-hmm. where like you're never outside mm-hmm. yeah. of ideology, even if you think you're rebelling against it. You're, you're yeah. rebelling because it exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ah, sorry. <laughs> Continue. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I think that's really relevant. And I was just trying to articulate um, uh, sort of like a parallel to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just something significant is like, you know, all the, all every time these things are like repeated, right? Um, I forget exactly who says it. I might even have like copy pasted it here, but I can't find it now. Mm-hmm. It might have been um, just Eagleton's own words or someone else's. But um in the repetition, right? Each repetition matters in a different way. Like when something is repeated, it's not the same as the first time yeah, just because yeah. the first time was said, right? Mm-hmm. So that re- second repetition is the first one um, plus the second time, essentially. It's the memory of the first one um, coming back. Yeah. So that they're they're never the same. Even if the same word is said three times, they don't. They're not all the same meaning, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is really kind of distressing <laughs> on a different level. I mean, it's just like language is like always referential, right? Yeah. It like exists because we are able to like, we have precedent to mm-hmm. fall back on. Well, I mean, more like just just the knowledge that you cannot go back to the past no matter what, mm-hmm. because just by the nature of wanting to go back to the past, you are in a different, an, an impossibly different um, scenario. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't read a book for the first time twice yeah. because you've yeah. Yeah. Um but okay, let's let's get down to <laughs> um actual examples. So, so, so this is going to be a, a short a shorter essay mm-hmm. thing. So I I wrote down all the the classical um beats of the um hero's journey which uh, Joseph Campbell um in a hero of a thousand faces so many of you all have already heard it i'm sure mm-hmm. uh, you should go read it it's not perfect there's been a bunch of um responses to it different people uh redefining all the the sections and um a lot of like different rebuttals like there's there's a good point that like not every myth it follows any kind of structure like this yeah, right yeah. like these are they are very reflective in epics, for sure. But that's almost like you're defining it by its definition, kind mm-hmm. of, right? Like, an epic is a hero's journey, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's tons of myths that, that follow different structures. Um, and so, yeah, you shouldn't necessarily apply to this to every single thing. Um, I mean, uh, it, it's just something we take for granted that stories will have, like, three acts and have a climax near the end and then a resolution mm-hmm. when, like, they don't actually need those things it actually doesn't need to be a climax to a story like it can just rise and fall or not even like it it can stay at a certain note and it can still be a a story yeah um yeah and that's pretty easy to forget sometimes it is Um, it is so very much there's um there's there's three main sections to the hero's journey uh something that's always thrown me off about um act structures um and I, i know this is a kind of a stupid thing but i've always like rebelled against them when they were taught to me just because like they are never equal in length mm-hmm. or importance yeah um the first act is usually pretty short sometimes it's even like a couple chapters um while the second act will be the entire yeah. book yeah. essentially and then the last act might be only one chapter or even sometimes even less um 
which has always been really throwing me off because they have like the same amount of points in each section. Yeah. And some of them are just more um, concentrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in epics, these are more drawn out, more equal. Those are easier to see. But in, in modern storytelling, it, it doesn't really appear that way. Yeah. Um, but OK, so I think for the most part, we're we're only in the first two acts right now. Mm-hmm. I, I think with Theo's journey, we just reached the end of the second act, the basically the climax of his story. Um, and I think the third act, for the most part, has not happened. So uh, let's go ahead and run through them. So first we start off with a call to adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, I think it's Taylor getting her powers, right? Yeah. Um, and Theo telling Jack that he's going to kill him and Jack giving him that, that two-year challenge. Yeah. Um, Would you say... For Taylor, it would be getting her powers, or would you say it's when she decides to go out and mm. and join the parahuman community? I think that would be well. Mm, well, I, I think with this you can move it around. I think that would totally uh, work as mm. one. Um, on a different level, it could be like Taylor getting her powers is the call, and then she refuses the call until she decides to go out that yeah, night, essentially. Yeah. Um, or I had originally written down that like. Her pretending to be a hero and like totally like being undercover is is her sort of refusal to actually like um, actually be doing good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. guess I don't know. Um, so then we have a couple stages of supernatural aid. So often this is where characters get uh, mentors or um, helpers uh, or start getting their the gods their appear. powers and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Taylor, that's teaming up with the Undersiders. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Theo, I think this section would be best reflected with um, Purity and company. Yeah, yeah um, they're sort of like the advisors in this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And I think his refusal of the call and his acceptance sort of appear off screen. Yeah. We don't really see him for a little bit. Um, following that, we have the crossing of the first threshold. So this is like where we get into you can't really turn mm-hmm. back. Um, you have left the, the Shire. Um, so this is where um, I think one... Example you could do here is when Taylor leaves her father to commit to being an undersider. Mm, yeah, the first time um, that she leaves, and I, I think when she like has the the argument at night. Yeah, in arc yeah. six yeah. after the the crashing the the party, mm. um, and then uh, Theo, I think this is when he's abandoned. He actually doesn't choose to cross the threshold, but this is where kind a of lot of those tossed over the threshold, mm-hmm. tossed over the threshold. Yeah, yeah. and the support is mm. gone, which is the same thing with Taylor. I think. Yeah. Um, then you have this beat that's named the belly of the whale, which basically means like going into a dark place. Um, it's usually like some sort of setback, uh, but it's like the first like really, really big challenge. Mm-hmm. And it sort of like changes. It, it makes the character sort of realize what situation they're yeah. in. Um, so for Taylor, I think that could be Leviathan or uh, on an emotional level, it could be her um, being con- confronted by the undersiders actually being bad guys. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or you could um, place things really differently, uh, and it could be um, that her first threshold could be the bank robbery and the belly of the whale being Bakada. Um, like, there's lots of options here. You could slide oh, the yeah, points around wherever. True. Worm is very long, so there's yeah. a lot of points to work with. Um, and for Theo, I think that is very clearly Behemoth, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like with Taylor, it, it kind of depends on where, mm-hmm. like, if you want her hero's journey to span the entirety of Worm. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to kind of, you know, divide it into a few mm-hmm. sort of things. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you could probably... This probably cycles multiple times. because yeah, I feel like you could um, justify her going through a couple of them at least. Mm-hmm. But, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that is absolutely worth doing. Maybe they would even sort of line up with uh, our book divisions, sort of, I think. Ah, wouldn't that be funny? I think it might, like, a little bit, at least for some, yeah. um, because I intentionally... I almost succeeded a couple of times of intentionally cutting them into, like, um, the the specific, like, story mm-hmm. arc. Um, but I think, like, arcs one through eight, I think, basically would follow a hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we have the initiation act, which is, like, where most of the story happens and where our character grows for the most part. Um, a lot is summarized in the bullet point four of Road of Trials, <laughs> so which is... Basically, the characters face trials. They fail sometimes. They succeed sometimes. Often these trials are in threes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of options here. And it sort of spans this entire time. I think this is where we kind of have to like realize that like in most hero's journeys, you don't necessarily have to appear in this order. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- there's a ton in here. We don't really have to list everything. <laughs> most Slaughterhouse-Nine, Echidna, et cetera, yeah, yeah. right? Um Problems with heroes, etc. Yeah. Uh, and this is where like the helpers come into play. Mm-hmm. So I think for Taylor, it's the undersiders, and specifically like Rachel. Yeah. Um, I think Theo. This is the two years um, in between Behemoth and uh, Slaughterhouse Nine Thousand. Yeah, we don't and really Taylor's see kind a lot of his of mentor. His, like, mm-hmm. Difficulties because we know that she is obviously like doing her thing, right? She's like, yeah, we, we saw her like template um, that she did um, with the with the mock show, I think, right? And then she kind of like, yeah, yeah. it's implied that that's we, what she's and, been doing for the past like year and a half. Right, right. Probably like one a week. Yeah, for yeah. so I assume that he's probably years. been involved in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, this next point, I don't have super great lines for them, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's labeled the meeting with the goddess. So this is one where a character um, meets a important goddess that's sort of like a, a match for them yeah. um, that would like complete them. And usually they get some, like, magical boons at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so I think in, like, the Odyssey, that's Odysseus meeting with uh, Athena, but <laughs> whichever time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure here exactly what it, where it would be. Um, so with uh, Taylor, uh, there's – it could be, like, Dragon and Defiant when she first, like, mm-hmm. um, becomes Weaver, um, potentially. Yeah. Or like it could be – That could be a um, – Dinah with um oh, yeah, with her, her notes, notes sort of being the yeah 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 well I'm not entirely sure um and for Theo uh, yeah again Dinah the same sort thing. of I, acts well, as this sort of like intervening mm-hmm. goddess almost in mm-hmm. uh, multiple different moments yeah yeah and she kind of like is part of like Taylor's ideal of like if I can save this person yeah. then I will be complete um I may be mangling interpretations there but yeah um. For Theo, I think Taylor's actually a pretty good match for this mm-hmm. because, um, like, Taylor is kind of, like, the narrative match for her, uh, at least in his story, right? We see in his interlude that, like, I mean, he does like her just by nature of, like, you know, have, spending so much time mm-hmm. with her and stuff. Um, but I think this is where uh, Wild Bo, like, ends up really contradicting the, the hero's journey, like, on... on I, I don't want to say on purpose because I doubt like he like was like oh this is where I will subvert the, <laughs> here's the, the list thing, of just things because... that I will you know check off yeah 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 but I think he's like intentionally reacting against that whole like people have to have romances just because they are like two protagonists mm-hmm. right um because like yeah narratively in a lot of ways like Taylor is his match but like 
they are not compatible no, at, no, at all. Not. Right? Taylor is not someone for romance. Yeah. Um, so I think this is where it sort of starts breaking down in Worm mm-hmm. in in Theo's story. Um, the next bullet point is a woman as the temptress, which uh, usually is a woman, especially if it's like a, um, a masculine protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, that like 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 Calypso basically yeah, saying, yeah. "Stop your journey. You can you can stop here." Yeah, Calypso. Um, yeah. Oh, poor girl. <laughs> She has a rough. She does. Um, well, actually, not even that rough, to be honest. She's got a, a dope island, but she is cursed true. to fall in love with people. That sucks. It does. That's that's such a terrible curse. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, so uh, I think for Theo, you could say that like Aster's death and like wanting to break down and wanting to mourn the lost, and there's a couple, there's multiple times where he like wants to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the the. Temp- temptress is like something more positive so i don't know how much i want to call it those yeah um yeah with taylor uh i put down never but it is definitely i think like, I'm, there mm-hmm. is that there's that um it's a the the plot point is functioning to stop the hero's journey mm-hmm. from progressing which i feel yeah. like those emotional moments for him mm-hmm. are is that where he like he mm-hmm. actively chooses to not stop mm-hmm. that's a good point yeah yeah um with Taylor, I put down never. I don't think that's actually true, but I think her moments of temptation are so short and dismissed yeah. so quickly that it's um, easily missed. Like anytime she's like, "Hmm, I could imagine a future with Gru." Yeah, there's definitely like a couple of moments mm-hmm. um, when she when she thinks about that of like she contemplates just not, you know, like stopping and you know, mm-hmm. staying staying in this sort of like stagnant space, but like she doesn't entertain it very long. Ever. Yeah, yeah. It's like a paragraph yeah. or two, yeah. Which I mean, I suppose because we know she's an unre- unreliable narrator. I mean, we don't know how long she has, you know, been having if she if she returns to that concept ever in her in her thoughts as she's working through things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, at least at least um, like you know that we have seen she doesn't really you know contemplate that anything could could be the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the next bullet point is uh, atonement with the father slash abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is kind of where a character like it's this is very much coming from like patriarchal like norms um, where there can only be one patriarch. And so um, often in stories, this is sort of a symbolism of like the son replacing the father, yeah. um, which doesn't always apply. Um, but I think there's a couple of, of parallels here. So uh, Theo um, you know, he deals with the idea of his actual father, mm-hmm. right? Um, and distancing himself from that. I think that's one take on this. I also think fighting with Jack, like the actual fight with Jack, is a sort of atonement with a father. Yeah, I think so. I feel like also uh, there's a moment that he has um, when he's fighting Hookwolf in that last mm-hmm. fight, too, where he's like... Mm, yeah. He's like... I feel like he has... He just has like this kind of wry... Um, observation of like uh, what you know, like what irony this is that I'm fighting my father's lieutenant, you know, in this mm-hmm. in this you know, eleventh hour or whatever it is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I feel like he, mm-hmm. he's sort of in in that moment he's he's grappling with that. Yeah, um, I don't know if Taylor has done this yet. Yeah, because um, she's still sort of in that like. Um, interim space i guess or like kind of mm-hmm. undefined space with her father right now like they haven't they haven't come back full circle yet mm-hmm. yeah but he also hasn't totally rejected her so mm-hmm. that like they're in this sort of like 
I mean, I don't want to say liminal space, but like undetermined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 For it to be liminal, I think it would have like two different places. But mm-hmm. well, I mean, I guess there, there is two different places. It's just like not being with her and being. Yeah. I think it's just ambiguous right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next two points are um, the um, apotheosis, which is like, so that, that basically means like the character becoming a mm-hmm. god. Uh, but usually it's like that final realization that they need to like complete um, their arc, essentially. Yeah. Um, so for for this, I put down um, Theo figuring out how to take down Jack um, in, the, in that final moment where he like doesn't give up. Yeah. Right. He, he's finally figured out the thing and like just fighting normally isn't enough. You have to send in a, a non-parahuman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like slightly inverted because it doesn't actually it like it, it beats Jack, yeah, but, but it, it doesn't, doesn't stop, stop the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. The next the next bullet point is the ultimate boon, right? Which is like the the final the the elixir of life, mm-hmm. right? They or they they got the sword, they got the golden fleece. They succeeded. They got the thing that they're going to bring back and save everyone. Um so I think this is supposed to be stopping the the end mm-hmm. of the world, <laughs> but it did not turn out that way. Yeah. So, um yeah, I think this is where uh Wab was like, "Nope, we don't uh, that's not how the story is going to go. It's not, um, the, the apocalypse is going to happen. Yeah. You didn't stop it. Yeah. So yeah, there is no catharsis. Mm-hmm. This is just like, yeah. the wound is left open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, Taylor has not had her apotheosis or ultimate boon yet. Yeah, not yet. I think it, like if it could have happened, I think it could have been written in a way where it was against Jack that, that, that mm-hmm. happened. But, um, considering, that we don't see the climax from her perspective, I think it's pretty clear she has that not reached, this is not the climax not of her story. Yeah. Yet. yeah. 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 So uh, the last section, I, I don't really have any points from Worm in them, but I'm just going to say them. Um, that way we can watch for them in the next, this final section. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this will, for, for Taylor, this will be like after the climax of her story. Yeah. And for Theo, it would be like directly after this. Or maybe off screen. I don't remember... If we see him again, if yeah, oh, um, yeah. Well, I I don't remember anything that would like feed into. This I don't remember specific things, things that yeah, would yeah. yeah that would feed into the yeah into the last. All right, we'll um, keep an eye out. Act. Mm-hmm. So this is the return after that final battle. Um, so first, it's the refusal of the return, usually because the ultimate boon is so awesome that they don't want to go mm-hmm. back. Um, but then they they have to. Um, obviously, th- a lot of this has really changed because, like, there is not a good yeah, thing. Yeah, because it didn't end well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so after the refusal of the turn is the magic flight, mm-hmm. um, which is um, often, like, they're literally, like, flown home mm-hmm. or um, it, usually with the powers that, that help them. Um, or they're, like, chased home, sometimes in a comedic sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the uh, rescue from without is usually the, like, final... Um, danger that they are rescued from mm. um, from someone so else. from some danger that they like they 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 beat the fight um, but there's something else but that's... now they're succumbing yeah. yeah they've like they've been poisoned or uh, they're the flood waters are coming in mm-hmm. or whatever so this is often where like a divine intervention comes yeah. in um, and um, this is supposed to like reaffirm that even though they are super heroic they are still like us they need help yeah. Yeah. right um, then there's the crossing of the return threshold where the hero finally comes home and they're finally safe. Uh, there might be one more challenge here. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was always my largest question at the end mm-hmm. of um, 
I think it's at the end of, I don't remember if it's the end of Hobbit or the end of Lord of the Rings, but Mm -hmm. whichever group of Hobbits return. I think they both do. I think it's the end of the end of the Lord of the Rings because like there's somebody Mm. who's like taken over and they have to like battle politically and it's like this whole big thing Mm. at the very end and there's all this other stuff happening as like, you know, everything wraps up, but like they still have this like headache at home they have to deal with, which always seemed like such Mm. a strange thing to end on. I don't remember, but I never actually finished reading Return of the King. Oh, so It's so long. <laughs> it is long. I really got to finish it. I got so far. It's really good, And then though. I didn't. Yeah. Um, yes. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Master of the Two Worlds. Uh, yeah. So the next one is the Master of Two Worlds, where basically um, after completing the whole journey, we uh, now see the hero as a uh, master of both um, home and the alien world, the, the magical world that they went to. Um, they, they've improved themselves and so they are wonderful at both. Um, also just a, a side note, I think, uh, looking at the hero's journey and Pact, I think it's going to be very explicit, some of the comparisons, mm. um, and, and, and just p- the, the pa- Pact verse in general. Um, I have one particular, um, thing in mind where, uh, it, it matches up a lot with, uh, these points, yeah. um, in, in one of those two stories, mm. um, and then uh, the final point is the freedom to live, um, which is basically the um, and then they live happily ever after, except like more specific of like, what do they do after yeah, they yeah. do they, um, you know, become the king and, and rule uh, for the rest of the time? Do they retire and, and live in their cottage? Um, do they become whatever? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and they might, you know, get married or go adventuring again or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are the last points we'll be looking at. Um, and so keep those in mind as we go. Obviously, there's a lot of different permutations of this. Um, yeah, it, this is not perfect. But this, you know, general signpost that you can say happen in a lot of stories with the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the final thing here, um, and I, I thought this might be a little quick, um, is going through the quote-unquote seven um, kinds of plots. So another... A literary theorist basically talked about how there's only seven kinds of plots and um, they always follow. um, It's basically like very rough. um, You know, do they go up and then down? Do they go to a place and then back? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And there's like, I mean, there's a ton of other permutations of this. Some say there's only five. Some say there's like a lot more and that these are too specific. I mean, in the end, you can just like squint really hard and be like a story. Every story is about a character who does something yeah. and something changes. I mean, it's all about and definitions. Like yeah. the arguments of if this is like, if there's seven, if there's five, if there's, if there's infinite, etc. Like it's always about how you define like the, the detail of definition, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like the none of, just because like it doesn't match up perfectly in this one case or there might be like a better frame to work with does not mean that the other frame is mm-hmm. wrong right yeah so actually this is going to come up a lot here so what i wanted to do is just go through each of these and kind of like just say which character arcs like match up with this sort of plot yeah, yeah. right um and some of them are not going to and we're gonna to have to put like a lot of caveats and stuff um yeah so uh first we have overcoming the monster which is the protagonist goes out to defeat a bad mm-hmm. thing which is bad <laughs> um so Right, we have Theo for sure. Yeah, definitely. Weaver. Um 
for the obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, but also times. Idolin, at least he thinks. Um, mm, yeah. Yeah, he's he's fighting um, the Endbringers, yeah, right? Yeah. And even though he's not allowed to fight Jack, right? Um, Saint also <laughs> is under oh, the yeah. illusion Saint that he's in overcoming very, the monster very plot. Sure that that is the plot of his life. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's the hero. Um, and he is the hero. He is he is Saint George slaying the dragon. <sighs> what a nerd. <laughs> Um, okay, then we have um, rags to riches. So this is where uh, someone uh, gains uh, power and wealth over time, then loses it all, and um, learns a lesson and then gains it yeah. back, right? So uh, I don't think we have a ton of people matching up here. And the ones that we do, I think all uh, did not gain it mm-hmm. back. <laughs> they just lost it. Yeah. So uh, Accord, right? Um, it, I think he was in the midst of gaining it yeah. all back and growing as a person, maybe. Yeah, he but he better. gets sliced up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's theoretically saves Tattletail, yeah. right? So, ah, oh, accord. Um, yeah, <laughs> lost, the, the, gone, gone before his time. Oh. Um, then we have a uh, coil, uh, also uh, lost it all. Did not get a chance to gain it back or to grow as a person. Yeah. Gonna be honest there. Uh, but would I, you yep. say that he lost everything when he was in the PRT, and then he gained it all back mm. by becoming coil? Mm. You could do that. I think you Perhaps. could. I think that story like could be written. We need more background about what happened with him earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that was going to fit, we'd in. have to construct a, a backstory of him, like con- rising up the ranks and being like a rising star. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, Pigo might be a, a a different, a better magic oh, yeah, for that. She, she really does like lose it all, like kind of permanently. Yeah. 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 Um, I think Skitter actually like specifically Skitter's mm-hmm. journey actually really matches up with this. She gains power, wealth, um, and then loses her um, secret identity. Yeah. Um, and uh, her, her ability to be a c- civilian and then decides to give up all the rest of it uh, to gain back um, that thing and to, mm-hmm. to gain back her um, role in the end of the world. Yeah. And she does grow as a person from this. Um, I also wrote down Lung... I don't actually think it really matches up that mm-hmm. well. Um, I, yeah. yeah. If you have any others that, that match up, uh, go ahead and, and I wonder and tell if me. he could fit along in the hero's journey sort of thing. I guess his is sort of solitary, though. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really have as many, like, helpers. Well, his, like, the, his, the climax of his story happened pretty early on, mm-hmm. right? That one fight against Leviathan. Yeah. And everything else has just been, like, ups and downs yeah. in the aftermath. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we have the quest, which is where uh, the protagonist... Um, needs to go out to get a thing or to get to somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, this is often a, a hero's journey yeah, sort yeah. of thing. And so is, so is, um, I mean, most of these end up being hero's journeys. This is just like inescapable. Different, yeah, <laughs> different emphases. Yeah. Um, like the, the sling of the monster is yeah. one, um, the quest is one. The next one I'm going to talk about, the voyage and return is one, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the quest, uh, I think Taylor with, um, I mean, all the time, right? Especially with, like, Dinah. Yeah. Uh, acquire the important yeah, object, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. And the temptation of using it herself. Um, I don't know why I wrote Weld. Maybe I wrote Weld for, like, needing to uh, find out um, everything and to, He's, like, like place go to a cauldron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that too. But also, like, the irregulars in general, mm-hmm. leading the irregulars to, yeah. to find out their answers. Yeah. Um, in Faultline's crew in the very same mm-hmm. vein. Their quest for knowledge sort um, of thing. The, yes, yes. 
Um, the next one is The Voyage and Return. Uh, I think that lines up exactly with The Travelers, mm-hmm. like, very neatly. Um, the, uh, the heroes go to a strange land and then um, overcome the, the problems there and then go home uh, after learning some lessons. While uh, the everyone returning home and the important lessons learned are <laughs> Don't not... Don't necessarily happen. <laughs> but I feel like they learned some things. Oh, yeah. You know? I'm sure they, they learned something. Probably don't listen to the bug girl because she'll make True. you a murderer. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and they return with experience at the end. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And not all of them return. So um, the next one we have is a comedy. I wrote no one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where a, a mostly like lighthearted Nobody character doesn't necessarily ending? have to actually. I, I don't know. Can't think of anything. Basically. Right so um, a, a lighthearted character goes through an ex- increasingly confusing uh, problems and then ends with a, a happy ending after a final like reveal. Yeah, that doesn't. So a lot of no, uh, one. no yeah, one. no one. <laughs> I don't think if you if you think someone has a comedy, yeah, do tell uh, us. Please tell tell us because yeah, um, yeah, I can't I can't think of anyone. Um, tragedy uh, is the next one. Mm, so many, so many, so so many. So uh, this well, this gets complicated because we I, there's a lot of villains that I wanted to put down mm-hmm. here, and the a tragedy is usually a character who's like fundamentally good but has a like super major character flaw yeah. or a big mistake that they do um un- which undoes them and the end is usually like well tragic and ironic and makes you feel bad yeah. for them um the most obvious is orpheus right ah orpheus um, if you need a yeah oh man i still feel bad about yeah. that it's just like what a bummer lost we, we lost such great music oh I man know. so i read a lot here um accord i think is a very mm, uh yeah good example it, because it's it's it is a consequence of his own actions mm-hmm. right um is there a requirement for them to acknowledge their inherent like their flaw that has let like their mm. like is there is it still a tragedy if they don't know they don't have that epiphany at the end mm. i think it would be i okay. think it wouldn't be a, like a classical tragedy yeah. i don't think but like i think it would fall into the category okay. i think I've also have a bunch here that like barely match mm-hmm. up. Um, like Blasto. Yeah. I don't think he. It's not his character flaw that made him be undone. But he does it's just like a mistake. Mm. In his moments, even mm-hmm. though he doesn't actually. The the part that makes me think that it lines up is um, that we feel bad about him, and also that it's the um, loss of a fundamentally good character. Yeah. Which I don't know if he actually is fundamentally good, but he is at the very end mm-hmm. there. So yeah. Um, I also have Brian because the end does not actually have to be death. Mm, yeah. Uh, his major character flaw is just not ever being okay with any sort of weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think just repeatedly that kind of comes up and, and ends up making him stay broken. Yeah. yeah. So might apply there. Um, I wrote Sophia. Uh, it is kind of like a, a just desserts sort of yeah. thing because she's a bad person. But she does sort of like, she gets stuck in her own... Mm. you know categorization yeah 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 mm-hmm. um amy mm-hmm. definitely yeah, definitely 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 amy um major character flaw uh which is kind of the inability to deal with any sort of mm-hmm. guilt um and she does have an unfortunate end which is tied with victoria's yeah. end um it makes you feel bad for both of them mostly for victoria but still <laughs> um and it is the fall of a fundamentally good character yeah, yeah. I, I mean she did she, in a sense anyway um 
I also wrote Jack Slash just because his end is pretty ironic mm-hmm. that it's his own person. Um, it, it's uh, Grey Boy that yeah. gets him. Yeah. Also, guess... it's such fucking bullshit that sorry, it's it's just sorry. I need to, I need go, to get this go. out. It's also bullshit because his I mean his ending is you know it's great. He, he he's the the true bad guy. He's hurt so many people and he gets to be tortured forever just like so many others but he can turn off pain like it it takes he feels at least one second of pain every cycle right out of like maybe it's a three second cycle um but that's like so much better than every other victim Mm -hmm. gets it's so unjust (laughs) yeah yeah so uh you were about to say i before i i I screamed what was i going to say um oh well i don't know like i feel like he doesn't i mean he does it's his fault because of his own like hubris right that he mm-hmm. thinks he can pull yeah. this off um mm-hmm. but i don't know he's i guess yeah i guess he fits into it mm-hmm. um and so now for for a couple of next ones i kind of just want to go through them real mm-hmm. quick um so poke wolf um he his whole emphasis on strength is also his yeah. undoing basically um and he ends up being i mean this is where the fundamentally good character kind yeah, of falls yeah. away uh the next one uh crawler also hubris uh, right perfect perfect example yeah, very. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one though. Um, Trickster um, and and Noel for the um, basically yeah. she, neither of them are able to to get over their problems mm-hmm. and yeah they're lost. Um, Alexandria almost a fundamentally good character almost, yeah. but um, unable to uh, get over her insistence on doing things in a shitty mm-hmm. way. Um, Bakuda sort of just because it was. Because she teamed up with a lung that ended up getting her, uh, I guess she explodes herself, unfortunately. But, yeah. Um, I feel like so many of these are like pride. Yeah. They think they can do whatever it is and it uh, it just does not work. Mm -hmm. Yes. They, they, yeah, Yeah. too much. Um, I also wrote Skidmark. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It just, he gets blended. It's pretty. Pretty horrible. It's a lot. (laughs) It's literally the fall of a character, yeah. right? So, um, uh, Marquis is is one of the final ones I, I put down mm-hmm. here. Um, his mistake is caring for his daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, although going to the breakage as as falls go, it's not that bad. True. Um, yeah. So I, in the end, I was I was pretty rough with lining them up um, here for tragedy, yeah. but eh, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you guys have any other good matches, uh, let me know. Um, and the very last one is uh, Rebirth. So this is where a, a character um, faces a like usually like a single big event um, that changes them in the aftermath and they become um, usually a better person afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we have a couple of good matchups here. Uh, Bonesaw, I think. Yeah. yeah. She is now reflecting, becoming a better uh, individual. She's turning into Riley rather than Bonesaw, yeah, now that right? she's had the time away from mm-hmm. all those influences. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rachel is is also um, obviously undergoing a, a, a rebirth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a single event, but just generally meeting Taylor and, and, and move, moving on after that. Um, Defiant is another yeah, one. I think, I think absolutely. Getting almost murdered by Mannequin is actually uh, that main mm-hmm. event. Um, and then afterwards being with uh, Dragon. Yeah. Um, clock blocker, I think is sort of matches up with this, but not necessarily in a strictly positive mm-hmm. sense. Um, he's become a lot more serious over time and yeah. over the many, you know, events that happened at Brockton Bay. Um, but he's definitely like changing and becoming a different version of himself. 
Um, and the last one I put down is Regent, which uh, the 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 event that it would be would be kind of like meeting the Undersiders and then meeting yeah, him. Yeah, I, I think like is it, the things that very specific him. to Imp. I feel like he does he does you know I, do, I mean we don't really get to see his perspective by himself. I think in that moment, like after after Imp shows up, but there's definitely like um a change in the way that he like conducts himself i guess or like the way that mm-hmm. he like yeah. occupies space and and the conversation in the undersiders like he has i mm-hmm. feel like he has more confidence in himself like before it felt much more like he was mm-hmm. just kind of there for mm-hmm. like he wasn't really committed you know like mm-hmm. he was there for fun i i, I guess i definitely i i think after you after you pointed that out i definitely can see that there's a there's a big difference between his involvement in the group during the behemoth fight and his involvement in the group in every fight before yeah. then where uh, like in his interlude right he talks about how he knows that he's a background mm-hmm. character right in the behemoth in the behemoth fight i think he's a secondary yeah. character like he's not you know he's not a one of the main ones but sure he's but he's still involved. he's very yeah. involved yeah um I, yeah that's a, a great reflection of that mm-hmm. i think so thanks for pointing that out. So uh, that is the same seven main plots. Uh, let me just go through them real quick again, just to, to name them. Um, they are Overcoming the Monster, Rags to Riches, The Quest, Voyage and Return, Comedy, Tragedy, and Rebirth. So mm-hmm. um, if you have any disagreements of when, whether they, where they can be placed. Also, uh, stories can be multiple things at the same time. I named Taylor like three times. Yeah, yeah. So... It's um, all about how you want to read a story, which is mm-hmm. basically yeah. what we've been doing this whole mm-hmm. time, picking out different things. That's right. Yeah. Ha. Huh. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so if you have any other characters you want to match up to these, uh, please do. I think it's kind of fun. It is. Um, okay. That's my essay. Final section nice. before we get into our outro. Um, what are your favorite powers from this section, Clarence? Okay. So I had two of them. The first mm-hmm. one was um, the uh, young young bands, yes, accumulated power. Sure. Where like mm-hmm. it, the the like sort of even distribution of everything, mm-hmm. and when they like take little pieces. I just really liked that their like the way that they operated together. I mean, I, the whole like cold thing and all of that, and like this isolation. That you know, that's a no go. But like the way that they like functioned, I think. In terms of like power mm-hmm. distribution, very fascinating to mm-hmm. me. It's very interesting. Um, but I also really like the Borg. So like I like this whole <laughs> like you know yeah collective entity sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then my second one, I I didn't fully understand Gray Boy before this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's terrifying to me what yeah. he can do. He's pretty and just pretty like bad. The phrase the perpetual. The perpetuity of horror is just so much, mm-hmm. um, but it's really interesting. Like it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, additionally, I really like that his power has has is basically the verb conjugations of his name. I really mm-hmm. like that's funny to me. And mm-hmm. to get gray boy. Yes. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's you know terrible concept, but like just in terms of like grammatical functioning, mm-hmm. I. I like that. I wonder what they do with all the the victims, like the the ones, especially before this section, where they actually had time to do yeah. stuff. Like, I'm ima- like, there's not much you can do about all the injuries, mm-hmm. right? But 
I feel like you could like at least like stick a television in front mm-hmm. of them and just set it to whatever channel they want. I feel like that would be better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, but like, is there any way to stop it at all? I don't or, think like, so. Like, if he dies, do- does everything that he's done no. stop? They didn't. No. <sighs> I mean, I guess it's not revealed, but like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. They, they go until well actually he's already died before that was the thing oh yeah right? that's true yeah so ah. that was revealed yes yeah horrible mm-hmm. um yeah it kind of sucks yeah. and it's so it's such a childish damage too like i i think actually it would be interesting to to analyze his sort of horror like he's he's perpetually a child and his like maliciousness the like uncaring amount uh he's literally he's inflicting an eternity of pain and he's just like yeah he doesn't really care. It's just very much like um, <clears throat> it feels like it feels like maybe it's just because we've been talking about all these like you know the hero's journey and epics and everything, but it just feels very much like the gods' punishment of like a a wayward mortal, you know, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. uh, that one that always like wants it's... to eat but can't eat, whose name starts with... um Tantalus, yes. yeah, and then the one yeah. that like is always rolling the boulder, all of this, or like yeah. The other one that, like, has his innards eaten. Like, it just, like, the repetition yeah. of it feels very much like mm-hmm. a... That's like a good a point. Greek yeah. god acting mm-hmm. out in anger. And it's... it Yeah, and it's something... Th- those punishments are always, like, way yes, too much, yes. right? They Horrific. are... Yeah. And totally not equal to the crime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, turning someone into an animal for, like, looking yeah. at you. That kind of thing. Uh. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I That's feel like dark. there is this sort of like maliciousness that exists in in you know like immaturity or like un like mm. <clears throat> I don't know that like because you don't know of the world, you don't know yeah. the consequences of what you're doing, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because you're not involved in the world in the yeah. same way. Um, it just struck me. I've actually like not read any stories that were not like intentionally like dark mm-hmm. that have had this that sort of callous um divine punishment um like any any story i've read with like gods as like characters and stuff have never been like nearly as horrible as the the greek gods yeah, were yeah which is weird i think because like the greek myths were already mm-hmm. written so we've like gone less intense than that usually yeah interesting mm-hmm. Another, just okay. I'm going off on attention now, but the the Greek gods, like, it's interesting because like they are like fallible, sometimes stupid, like characters, yeah. right? Like, um, like their like their personalities are human beings. Yeah, they're they're just, very like, maybe exaggerated intensely a bit more. human. Yeah, but like they are also like divine, like all like sublime power. Mm-hmm. Where like you cannot look at them, or else you will your eyes will burn out and you'll you will be consumed, yeah, yeah. right? Incinerated. Um, Which is the worst combination, destroyed. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that uh, yeah. beings that act like humans, but have... But are not. The powers, yeah. like, powers that are so far beyond what we can imagine or process. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, like, I feel like that's what, like, makes the Greek gods worse than, like, the Titans mm. before them, like... Because there's, like, there's a level of... of like pettiness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like pettiness attached to to like supernatural cruelty mm-hmm. and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, I'm I'm continuing to go off on the on the tangent in my mind, but <laughs> we will move on. Um, so I I had uh, two favorite powers in mind. Oh yes, do um, tell. The first, just real quick, the meteorite guy. Ah uh-huh, yes, pretty cool. Does he have a name? Where he, do we know like, his teleports name? a house? Um, no, but he's part of the Thanda. Yeah. That's all I know. Or maybe maybe you do know. I don't remember. Um, but that's neat. I wonder what like that power is supposed to be. Like, is it is his power literally just to teleport gigantic lands? Uh, um, bits of uh, yeah. mass into the sky or is it like just a very big teleportation yeah, sort of thing yeah. and he just like uses it in that way because um, it's a lot he destroys eight Siberians yeah it's pretty intense yeah good job um, <laughs> the other one is uh, Chevalier uh, for both aspects of his power I think just the like idea of punching with the weight of a 50 ton uh, mountain of metal yeah. is just super satisfying <laughs> I think um, yeah and then um, uh, the glimmers obviously are really just fascinating. Yeah, so interesting. I read this web comic about like um, uh, about like mental illness and things that people carry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And this one character can like the main character can see all of these things that people carry around with them um, as like mm. demons or like little things that like mm-hmm. sit on their shoulder or like that. And he like he knows what they all are. Um, mm-hmm. But no one else can see them. But it's right. really interesting because it totally changes the like the landscape of all of his interactions. Because like we're there when he's on mm-hmm. the bus and you know going around, he's like at a college, so he sees all of this like jealousy and anger and anxiety and all of this, and it's all like very visible to him, um, which is what I imagined with Chevalier. But it, it's mm-hmm. just it's interesting when things are so like like uh, uh, what was the, what was the term that you used when we were talking. About pale, about like liter liter things becoming literal, like metaphorical things mm-hmm. become like literalized. Literalizing, yeah, yeah I guess. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that sounds. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I I definitely see that reflection, and that sounds really cool. And also, you need to read pale. <laughs> it's on my <laughs> you really list. Really need to read pale. Okay, listen, um, listen. After okay. I finish, I mean, I've got two weeks, right? I have to just once I once mm-hmm. I finish reading Worm, then I'm going to sit down and like. Mm-hmm. Read all of the Binge available it. pale. Uh, yes, yes. Um, okay, that's our favorite powers. Um, last thing we're going to have is our themes and theories. We have one uh, this week. Uh, Peter Enigma, mm. uh, like two days before we recorded this, um, in a really amusing post. Uh, they, they wrote it in a really like entertaining yeah. way um, in the Which overview uh, thread from two weeks ago. Yes, it was fun to read, yes. Um he talked about distant reading, which is his least favorite literary mm-hmm. theory. Um, and he's talked about it before, uh, which is basically um, taking the opportunity to graph like facts about characters and chart them. And in, through doing that, you can um, find some uh, facts. So like uh, one that is, is used, especially as an example, is charting all the characters' connections and the one with the that reduces the distance... The distance between characters the most is the protagonist. Mm-hmm. At least that's the the theory. So um, via doing that, you find out that Captain America is the protagonist of um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and not anyone else because yeah. he has the most connect- connections to the most characters. Is it not Iron Man? Mm-mm, apparently mm. not. Um, yeah. So uh, PETA is trying to apply this to Arc 26 because um, it's unclear of... Uh, who's the protagonist here? Um, saying, um, namely, the only person who believes Taylor is the protagonist of it mm-hmm. is Taylor. Um, 
and um, like Jack's nemesis, Jack's antagonist is Theodore. Um, so uh, he wanted to uh, find out who is the, the main character in Arc 26, who's the protagonist. Uh, Theo does the last fight. Um, and he makes the joke that Coil Sniper, who joined the PRT, ends up taking Jack mm. down. So obviously he's a protagonist. But who's mo- more important? Who's the real protagonist? Um, and uh, more humorous phrasing. Uh, so there's a few ways to to uh, analyze this. Uh, he proposes um, who contributes more to the overall fight, who takes down the most Slaughterhouse-9. Um, if we count each cape taken down and give extra points for like the mm. bigger ones... Um, Maybe the winner, the, the protagonist is whoever does the most of that. Or, you know, it could be whoever, like, leads the most people or is in the most pivotal moments, in the most fights, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it was distant reading style of who meets how the, the most characters, it would probably be Dragon, because she's talking to everyone, even if it's not on screen. Yeah, she's really um, connected. Mm-hmm. Which I suppose, if she was going to, you know, kind of initiate an apocalypse, the fact that she has been talking to everyone and is monitoring everyone... Like, mm-hmm. makes it very easy for her to, like, initiate that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yes. No, no, yeah, it's good. Um, yes. Um, so PETA proposes that there's uh, some methods would be to take a combination, um, not to do just who met who, whom, and not just who killed whom, but also um, who fought mm-hmm. against whom, and that the protagonist probably participated in most of the plot. I think it's interesting to consider... Um, how much of it is on screen versus off screen, and how much of it is like in world? What who's the protagonist, right? Yeah, because if when you consider everything that's not happening on screen, that we are presented with is very different, I think, than mm-hmm. what is like happening in actuality. If that makes right. sense, of like, yeah, we are very limited in in our our you know uh, scope. I think um, because mm-hmm. we're watching through Taylor's eyes. Um, yeah. And I feel like it would be very different if we we sat the whole way through, um, like with Theo, or if um, we were with um, Defiant the whole time, or I mean, even if we were with like Bonesaw the whole time. Like I feel like it would be very different um, if we were thinking about whose perspective we are like set up with, I guess, because there's mm-hmm. so many yeah. aspects of the plot that we don't see happening um, mm-hmm. because we're in this more like limited scope and even when we get into theo's head at the very end um there's still like huge amounts of things that are happening um, around him that that mm-hmm. we don't really get a yeah he's he's facing off against jack but there's plenty of other fights there's the um, the um eight harbingers fighting against some yeah. heroes yeah yeah so i don't know it's it's difficult to say when there's so many people doing so many different things yeah yeah um, but so if you have any uh, ideas on how you might want to apply uh, a distant reading to the section of Worm, uh, go ahead and, and do that and then let us know how it goes. Uh, we would love to, yes. to hear that. Or if you have any other uh, themes and theories you want us to to look at um, on our next pr- perspective episodes for, I mean, this section is the last section of Worm. Yeah. So it's kind of like for all of Worm. So all if you've been uh, holding back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell us. Tell us all the things that you've been thinking. You've been contemplating. Mm-hmm. Perhaps something that has, like, emerged from our, you know, the Mm -hmm. loose threads that we leave at the end of some of our essay explorations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you have been holding back because you uh, couldn't talk about it without spoilers, this is the time. Obviously, don't spoil Ward. I mean, you can put Ward stuff in um, spoilers if you Mm -hmm. want. But 
Olive Worm, uh, starting in, in two weeks, our next overview episode uh, will will be available for you guys to talk about. Ah, so I'm so excited. Yeah, if you have any little little theories, we would love to hear them. Um, yes. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's that's our show. Uh, so let's let's cover a couple of things before before we sign off. So what's happening in Doof Media? Uh, I, I have two uh, things to mention here. So one, the Fantasia, Fantasia, Fan, Fantasia, Fantasia. Am I saying yeah, that correctly? Yeah. Fantasia. I don't know why I suddenly forgot how that's said. <laughs> the film festival is starting this week, which is um, North America's largest genre film festival. So that's fantasy and sci-fi, basically everything that uh, critics you know turn their nose mm-hmm. up at. Um, so for 2020, they've gone totally online because plague. Um, so and unfortunately, it is region locked to Canada. So they're basically like streaming all these movies at set times um, on on a site. However, Doof Media's Scott Daly will be attending and viewing as many of the films as, as possible um, because uh, we got a press pass. Doof Media is an official uh, critic um, website now. And so he's going to be posting uh, reviews and stuff on our site. We have a whole tab dedicated to it. I'm very excited to read um, his stuff and, and see what's coming up in films. And now Scott can finally start calling himself a real critic and ignore that ever-increasing sense of imposter syndrome. Please help him. Uh, call him a critic. A- anytime you talk about him, say uh, Scott Daly, film <laughs> critic, c- comic film critic. Um, I think that would go a long way. Um, <laughs> and uh, I would certainly appreciate y'all doing that. Um, the other thing is that yesterday the Decomposing Worm slash Pale Reflections fan art contest ended. Um, so thank you to everyone who sent in work. That's awesome. I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm very excited to do so. Hurrah! So, uh, unfortunately, there is not more time to send in work. However, uh, the voting for the fan art contest will begin, um, I think, over uh, this weekend. I think it's probably early next week is when that will open. So, uh, voting is patron only. You would have to go to patron.com to see the poll, uh, see all the work, uh, and vote for your favorites. Um, There's there's so much. I I know there's so much uh, great talent in our community, so I'm really excited to see uh, what y'all came up with. the theme was monsters. I can't wait to see what monsters you guys um, created. Ah, it's such an open definition of mm-hmm. something. Monsters. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah, very exciting. Well, uh, if you like what we do here at Doof Media, you should consider um, donating a bit for for um, like each month or, you know, whatever you can afford. So um, there's there's a lot of like cool, like extra content that you can reach. Um, in this particular capacity, um, specifically, I hear Matthias has has um, a would you call that like a bonus episode? Yeah. So basically, uh, I mentioned a couple times the bonus content is um, basically short, um, sometimes experimental, sometimes just like different uh, exclusive content only available at the ten dollar level and above. Um, so I know that uh, Freeman Bros has been one where where Matt Freeman uh, talks to his brother about a bunch of uh, sciencey things, and it's it's very high level and philosophical. Um, and uh, recently, uh, uh, Jarvis and I recorded an episode talking about Madoka Magica or Puella Magi Madoka Magica and why it's a great anime, why everyone should watch it. So um, I have not released that one yet. I apologize. I meant to earlier this week, but it's recorded. It's basically done editing. Um, I just have a little bit more to do, and then it will be up there. So, and there's going to be um, we're planning to have two more episodes of that over the next two months. So, so um, if you want to gain access to it, ten dollar level, very exciting. Mm-hmm. If for those who don't know, the Doofcast covered um, Puella Magica, Magica, like back in 
um, January mm-hmm. or something, and they didn't like it. Oh, and so you're um, you're but Drummers and I do, so we are redeeming redeeming it. Uh, yes, that I don't want to call it a show because that that is so much commitment mm-hmm. <laughs> to actually be like this is a show. But that segment, that bonus content, we're calling it doofovers. Doofovers because we're we're redoofing oh. it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so also, additionally, um, in a slightly different side note, you should also consider donating to Wildbow's Patreon. Um, because Wildbow has created this realm for us to exist in, and we should appreciate that. Also, he, like, relies on the income, to, this income, to, like, make living in, you know, and we should support artists. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity for us to Hell do so. yeah. Yes. Yes. I want... Wildbow's stuff is so cool. Speaking of, actually, real quick plug, on Do the Right Thing, um, he submitted a, a, a couple stories in, uh, over the past couple oh, weeks. Cool. So um, there's no like a master thread of that or anything, but if you're interested in seeing little short stories, uh, little concepts that Wildbo is uh, just real quick cooked mm-hmm. up, uh, some of them are utterly... Uh, I was about to see some of them, but they're all fascinating. They're, they're yeah. wonderful in, in totally different ways, too. So um, yeah, check those out. And also check out all the uh, other incredible stories that our, our community makes. There's actually so much really, really, really good mm-hmm. content every single week. Um, and I'm continuously impressed by the work that our community creates. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so if you liked what we uh, <laughs> did here this week, um, another way you could support us is by leaving a rating review on whatever uh, way that you get podcasts or um, spreading the word, telling people that there's a analysis podcast teaching literary analysis off of the internet hit web serial, superhero web serial Worm. Um, so just, you know, read Worm real quick and then you go listen to this podcast. Just your average recommendation. <laughs> um, if you want to uh, let us know how how we did uh, this week and other weeks and any other thoughts or, or comments you guys might have uh, off of what we said, you can email us. You can email us. Oh my God. You can email us at decomposingpodcast at gmail.com or uh, comment in our discussion threads that are posted every week or every time an episode comes out. Or you can follow us on Twitter, which is where you'll find out when an episode is inevitably a day <laughs> late, uh, which is at we, decomposingpod. I mean, at least we're consistent. We're like consistently inconsistent, yeah. you know? Yes, yes. I think we were we were on time like, what, two weeks ago? I right? feel like we were. Once, and then we were not on time for like many yeah. weeks. Alas. Yeah. See, I don't want to just change it like episodes come out on Saturdays because, because then, then inevitably will, episodes will start coming out on yeah, Sundays. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay. Um, that's all we have for y'all this mm. week. Um, don't forget, we're now bi-weekly, so next episode is coming out September 4th, and we're going to be covering The End of Worm, um, Arcs 27 Extinction, through the epilogues. Tenoral. Ah, the End is Nigh. <laughs> <laughs>